0: I'm Jesse. And I'm Josh. And this is Slice by Slice, a podcast where we dissect and discuss horror films by categories and subgenres, such
1: as slashers, cultic cults, franchises, and directors' bodies of work. And of course, we can't dissect and discuss these films in the detail we do without spoilers. So we've gotten past the uh,
0: primary husband's bulge of the the (laughs) Halloween franchise for me, now that we've gotten the first one out (laughs) of the way. And uh, it's been two weeks for you guys. It's been about 15 minutes for Josh and I. Yep. And I'm trying to get caught up on movies and TV shows, and I actually made it to the theaters recently, and I saw It Chapter 2 in IMAX.
1: And you saw it before I did, a week before. We were mad. We were this couple. So this couple walks in behind us and mm-hmm. goes up to the counter, and we go over to the kiosk. And all the center seats and pairs are already gone. And so we have to pick seats off to the side. And we go in, set our food down. She sits down. I go to I go and pee because that's like not walking out of the theater P. I I go back in. There's a point to this, I promise. <laughs> and I go in and I look behind where me and Ginger are sitting. And that fucking couple that came in behind us and went to the human got our seats that we normally get. That oh. were already gone. And they weren't reserved. They were just already gone at the kiosk. So what the fuck? I thought the kiosk was faster. I'm supposed to be embracing technology when a human could have got me the seats I wanted. Did
0: you go to the theater
1: by my house? Yeah. Then why don't you just buy your fucking tickets online? Because- Okay, this is this is a great example. So the night that we went to go see us, we got there, we saw how packed the theater was and we went somewhere else to do something else cuz we're the weirdos. We don't like people being in the movie with us. We want to be alone, not because we want to get freaky, but because we're just well, I want total immersion when I'm there. But, anyways, sorry about the little side story. So, tell me about ch- your thoughts on chapter two.
0: I got to do another side story. We're covering okay. <laughs> we're we're
1: covering Halloween,
0: right? Yes. And we're talking about you going to the bathroom at a movie theater. And I remember when we went and saw Halloween twenty eighteen. <laughs> <laughs> Which I drug you and your wife out on opening night. Yeah, I just We actually
1: went, yes.
0: <laughs> and we're waiting in the lobby after the movie, and I want to have a discussion And Josh in the bathroom. Josh walks up to me, and he's like, I never thought I'd say this, but I just took a piss on a hypodermic needle on a urinal. You <laughs> <laughs> fucking died laughing, man. I forgot. I was talking to a guy at work about how we were doing Halloween. He's like, you better tell the story about
1: your cousin pissing <laughs> on the needle. <laughs> and I did, man, but, you know. It's a nice part of town too. That's the I know. part. it was like
0: the burbs. I honestly wonder if it was somebody, uh, insulin shot in their I stomach. S-
1: I seriously think that's what it is, but it's still one of those things. It's like when Dave Chappelle talks about being mentally prepared to go to <laughs> the hood or to the ghetto. Like that's the last thing you're thinking of is I'm going to piss on a fucking needle. <laughs> you would think that
0: a person with diabetes that has to give themselves uh, insulin shots would be more careful with their needles. But I just imagine the person's, like, acting like they're peeing. They do it. They drop the needle, and they look at picking it up, and they're like, Mm-mm. <laughs> You got, like, the fucking urinal mint that's supposed to be blue, but it's, like, yellow-brown. And then you got, like, the chewed-up pieces of gum that are, like, colors. Yep. Yeah. And three guys piss. And you're just like, I'm not touching that. <laughs> but anyways, uh, I like the first one a lot. The first It movie. Yeah. And... I really liked the second one when I stood up and finished it and then I slept on it. And it it had some good shit to it. But it was not as good of a movie as the first one.
1: I agree. The best part
0: I'll say about it, the cuz we don't we don't want to spoil it cuz it's still in theaters, but the grown-up actors picked for the kids was fucking yes. They picked everybody perfect.
1: Yeah, they did a great job there.
0: I mean, even the old spice guy Look at your man. Look at me. I'm on a horse. You know, uh, Eddie, you could have told me it was the same guy. Like Eddie grown up. Yeah. (laughs) He Fucking did it. Perfect. I love Bill Hader and everything. They were just, they were all great, you know? And, uh, I was glad they didn't lean on Pennywise, the clown so much because that's such a small part of the actual story. They did go in the deadlights a good bit, which was kind of neat. Uh, they, the, the scene with the two, the gay couple, getting like brutally beaten and stuff, that was in the book. And that was pretty much scene for scene. And they didn't put that in the original movie in the 90s. Okay. So it was cool that they put that in there. It's really funny. The scenes where they didn't need CGI and they could use practical effects, the CGI was terrible. Yep. Thank you for bringing that up because that, oh. But the CGI was good. When you couldn't have done it with practical effects, did you notice that? I mean, obviously, like a giant spider with a clown head looks fake, but like it was actually good CGI compared to heads floating. I got my, you know what
1: I mean. I got my own beef with the the. Well, I don't want to.
0: Yeah, I I know, I know. We 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 don't want to spoil old movies. We don't spoil movies still in theaters, but. but no,
1: there there was a lot of it where like the the part chapter one, I was like that was okay. Um, But I'm more excited to see what they do with chapter two. And to me, chapter two was a letdown. And I don't know how much of that is hearkening back for nostalgia because it's been a long time since I've seen the OG. And I have a huge problem with accepting anyone other than Tim Curry playing Pennywise. And I'm just hung up on that. But at any rate, the movie was too fucking long. That's the biggest problem. It was too fucking long. I want to see the Andy... It's like this mach- podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Shit. We're trying to
0: fix that, though. I want to see the Andy Machete supercut that he's trying to put out in theaters that's going to be like five hours long where he puts the two movies together. Have you ever read the book? uh uh-uh. So the book doesn't do kids, adults. Yeah, the it's book is all basically one- Yeah, it's basically like The Haunting of Hill House on Netflix. It's okay. adults with flashbacks. And if he does that and he doesn't have to reference the first movie when they're grown up, there's a lot of shit he cut out. Okay. So a super cut of the movie while being long as fuck would actually be cool to see it done properly, but I'm not shitting on the movie. I still say, go see it. If you like the first one.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It, it was all right. It wasn't, it wasn't groundbreaking or anything. At least not to me. The character piece of it. I thought it was really good. Yes.
0: But that's cause they had like, I mean, they like got, you have fucking Jessica Chastain and James McAvoy yeah, in the yeah. movie, and they're both fantastic fucking actors. So, like, they're going to be on top of their game. Bill is pretty good, especially after seeing Barry. So I knew he was going to be good in it, and I don't know. They were they were fucking <laughs> doppelgangers. I'll move on a second, but uh, did you notice they had to digitally de-age the kids, and then they, like, pitch shifted, like, some of the kids' voices? Because, you know, 12 and 15 is, like, a big difference. Yeah. And uh, the woman that played Eddie's mom in the first one? Yeah. Played his wife in the second one. Yeah. It's, I don't know. It, it was pretty neat. It's definitely worth seeing and has some fucked up scenery in it. But <laughs> other than that, man, I'll probably never watch it again other than the supercut, Still got to watch Brightburn and that that backlog's still there. But since we're <laughs> recording ahead for this month, I'm hoping to get caught up. I imagine by this episode, we've blown well past 3000 downloads, by the way. And we should. Because we were like right on the cusp before the last one. And we've now time traveled a few weeks. So. Yay.
1: Look at us go. No TARDIS required. And speaking of
0: time travel, we're talking about <laughs> multiple timelines right now, though. We covered Halloween 1 and 2 on the last episode. And on this episode, we're going to cover what I call the Curse of the Thorn Trilogy, which in a vacuum, I really like 4, 5, and 6. It's a good self-contained story, 5 being the weakest of the three legs of this three-legged creature. Uh, <laughs> but... <sighs> We're going to get into exactly what The Curse of the Thorn is. Michael Myers didn't need a backstory, though. Exactly. Which we don't get a backstory on him as a character, but we get a backstory on his power and his mythos, and really not even in the fourth movie. It starts to pop in five, there's hints, six, goes all out. And when I was a kid and I saw it, I thought it was really cool to have like a backstory. Got older, I I, I didn't appreciate it as much. But like I said, in a vacuum, these movies... We're good together. I feel like, and that's why I didn't want to break the trilogy up when we were trying to figure out how yeah. to do the episodes. And it's because, I mean, at this point in time, we haven't done Halloween three yet. It's going to be on part three, so I don't, I don't want to fuck you guys up. But it is a standalone
1: movie. Yeah, we're but, not, not some of those people that just pretend it doesn't exist. In case you were wondering,
0: eight I pretend doesn't <laughs> exist. Three actually like bust the bust.
1: <laughs>
0: but uh, you know, so they made three. They tried to go a different direction, which. Could have worked had they named it slightly differently, I feel like, but we'll yeah. get to that later. And then they're like, no, we have to have Michael Myers, even though he's really, really fucking dead. And that's why in 1988, we were given Halloween Four: the return of Michael Myers.
1: Yep. And uh, this was directed by Dwight H. Little, who also did some of Freddy's Nightmares, Ground Zero, Texas, the laserdisc <laughs> nice. arcade game. Um, I had
0: that on
1: Sega CD. Yeah. Sega CD. Okay. Yep. Uh, Dollhouse. From Dust Till Dawn, the TV series, and Bones. Um, it was written by Alan B. McElroy, who, funny enough, also worked on Crown Zero Texas and the entire Wrong Turn franchise. And I will praise
0: this guy. He's so well-spoken when you see him in interviews. You would think he's a bigger writer than he is, just the way I see him in the documentaries. You know, like, I've done this. This is my 500th interview because I'm a badass. He really has that, like, kind of exuberance. And his idea for this movie and how to carry it into the next one which they didn't follow, I think would have been like a good thing for the franchise. But we'll get into that more at the end.
1: Yeah, he really does seem like a fan, not just somebody there to get something done like we're going to see with a director later on. But returning again, we have Jamie Lee Curtis and Donald Pleasence, and we're also introduced to little Danielle Harris as Jamie. We've got Michael Pataki as Dr. Hoffman, Bo Starr as Sheriff Meeker. He's the second best sheriff in the franchise. <laughs> Maybe even the first, actually. Sasha Jensen as Brady, fucking Kathleen Kinmont as Kelly Meeker, and then George P. Wilbur as the Shape. Wilbur. <laughs> More on that later. <laughs> a few little quick facts um, about going into the movie. Carpenter did not want to direct it. They did ask him. Yeah, he was first asked to direct. Well, he was asked to write and direct, and he's like, no, 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 no. But he at least started a draft. But uh, a cod looked at the first draft or second draft, whatever it was, an early draft and fucking hated it. And Carpenter and Hill said, you know what? Fuck it. We're out and here. We'll sell the rights to you. And like, I don't know if it was a big blow up. I just read about this a little, I haven't seen interviews. You may be able to go into more detail, but basically that's what happened. And that's when they gave the whole thing up and gave it to a cod and it got moved over into a new production set.
0: Right. And I'm sure it wasn't given. There was probably money involved. Oh yeah, um, yeah, yeah. It was sold. <laughs> and it's just really funny because the, they wanted it to end It too. They killed him. They killed Loomis. And then they were still willing to come back for a paycheck and do it again. Yep. Um, I don't know. I praise the guy. but you, you can see an interview. I mean, I've seen interviews before where he's like, it's about the money in this business, guys. <laughs> like, I mean, he's like an artist and uh, a businessman all in one. And Mustafa Akkad, I go back and forth on the guy, man. Sometimes I feel like he really loved the franchise. And then other times it was
1: his meal ticket to me, but he might've actually genuinely loved it because it was his meal ticket. There's so many parallels I can see between him and Bob Shea after going yeah. through this. And that's, and I'm torn. I'm like, is this guy just in it for the money or does he really seem to love the character? Because watch two different interviews or even two different sentences from the man. And you're really torn on which one it is. But a uh, couple other quick things here. The, uh the effects team was nice enough to pull Daniel Harris aside and showed her how all the effects worked, Like, you know, the behind the scenes shit, this is how this works. So she wouldn't have to be scared by anything, um, or scarred. (laughs) And, uh, Wilbur
0: would always take the mask off and and show her, you know, in in between cuts. And here's one thing I will say, Wilbur in any interview I've seen with him on a doc, seems like nice old grandpa guy. I shit on the guy sometimes is the shape a little bit, uh, (laughs) but the guy had his heart in it. And like, I mean, Daniel Harris was young as fuck in this movie. Yeah. And even in some of the next couple, and I will say like the stunt guys were all really good with her. It seems like when you see interviews.
1: Yep. Um, the only other weird thing here is the pink mask <laughs> incident. So they had a run of the mask and it was wrong. It was pink with white hair and the, Oh, I don't remember if it was the makeup guy or, uh, prop guy, whoever it fell to said, Okay, go get me six of these, but make sure we have a white face and brown hair. And when it came time to shoot, he opens up the box with the mask, and there's all six of them. Pink with fucking blonde hair.
0: <laughs> I would like to go a step further, if you don't mind, on the uh, on mask gate here. Go um, for mask gate. So the original mask was a Don Post Studios William Shatner mask, yeah. right? And they painted it, molded, you know, cut the eyes open a little bit and shit. They called Don Post Studios and had them remake the Shatner mask mold to make this fucking mask for them. And Don (laughs) Post Studios fucked up the color. Okay, so they were the ones. And I guess, actually, if you look at the old Don Post Shatner mask, it was pink skin with blonde hair. Yeah. So they probably did what they were supposed to and just expected them to paint the fucking mask. I forget which Halloween movies Buechler was a part of. It might have been, this might have been the first one. You know okay. He's famous special effects and director, and I think we just lost him last year, I think recently to oh, cancer, wow. but this might've been one of the first movies where he came in doing the special effects and he had to, I think he was the one like, line me up the six mask and there's some mask incidences later in this <laughs>
1: film. There is. And it's also why, if anybody's ever noticed this stark white mask that you have in this particular film is because they painted the pink ones and rolled with it. They had no choice.
0: It was bugler in this one. Cause he's saying that's why there's like so many like dots and stuff on the mask. Cause he had to just like fucking quickly paint it yeah you know most of these movies they had really short time frames very little money shooting at night
1: yep there's also gonna be uh, there's a scene in the movie that's actually shot with one of the pink masks And story goes that it was either a, they had to shoot. I've heard two different stories on it that either a, they had to shoot because it was going to fuck the schedule. We'll figure it out later. Or B it was fucking four o'clock in the morning and somebody got told go grab a mask and grabbed it. And everybody was so tired. They didn't even notice that they had grabbed a pink
0: mask. That's the one I always heard, but they're all theorizing because they don't remember it. They just like, look at the dailies and like, what the fuck? It's in
1: the fucking movie. That's for sure. They couldn't reshoot it. So we've got opening credits that lead us into a Smith Grove ambulance arriving at Ridgemont Sanitarium. And we see a man and a woman uh, are there for a transfer. And we've got the security guard that <laughs> gives them a fucking elevator pitch on the way down that's literally your recap of what's going on. I love
0: in one of the docs, they, uh, I think it's the director. He's saying like every movie, especially when there's a gap, you have to have your exposition scene and it's ugly and you don't want to do it. So we're like, Hey, we'll just throw this
1: whole fucking thing in the elevator and get it out of the way. And the guard's kind of creepy too. He is. And I forget his name, but he's been in a bunch of of other stuff. Yeah. Um, but we see a bandage up Michael Myers. And uh, there's like magic, like Egyptian mummy bandages or something, because <laughs> the missing
0: eyes. He's been blown up. His brains are gone.
1: Yeah, he, he is seriously bandaged up. But what's really cool is as they wheel him out, it's a really low angle and the camera's moving perfectly in time with the stretcher. And that's when the theme kicks in. And it's dark. It's raining. It feels real good. It feels like. So removed from the previous two movies.
0: Yeah. Cause even the third one and I'll, I'll get to that when we get to that film, it was not the pumpkin, you know, with the music yeah. plan, but it was still black and orange and did its own little thing. This is the first one where they do it like over a scene. And honestly, it sets the tone like it should. And it worked in this film.
1: Yep. So as they, uh, as they ride in the ambulance, we can hear that Michael Myers has a niece back home. And Michael Myers springs up and bashes the dude's head into the wall of the ambulance, shoves his thumb right in his fucking forehead, and we cut to seven-year-old Jamie looking out a window at an ambulance in the rain. It's not the same ambulance, but it's one of the same ambulances, but not the same ambulance. I wonder why they made her seven and not six. Because Michael was
0: six. Uh, you when he that. killed Judith like it would have been kind of cool to do that yeah that would have been better maybe it was two on the nose but I feel like it would have been better had they done that I, do I didn't want to say catch that he's laying on the stretcher not moving and when they say something about did you know he has a niece back home you see his hand tighten up like ah, love here we go again yeah. you know <laughs> the the thumb scene though I could have done without that because this is the movie where they're like the Friday the 13th movies and all the other Halloween knockoffs have like boobs and gore and violence galore. We got to do that in this one. And it was actually, it was a fake hand with a retractable
1: thumb. (laughs) And by this point we do have nightmare movies happening. So
0: yeah, now I can really see (laughs) (laughs) what I'm saying. Like there were all these other slasher movies and honestly, that's part of the mystique. I feel like of the Halloween movies is Michael not having to, you know, have these ghastly kills, but some of them are kind of cool still.
1: Yeah. Well, I still think this one shows more restraint than two on some of them. Yeah. Like the needle in the temple is just... Anyways.
0: Eight doesn't exist, and I don't like two. And that's just how (laughs) I stand on the franchise.
1: So through conversation between Jamie and Rachel, we learn that they're not really sisters, and that Jamie's mother used to babysit Rachel. And Jamie pulls out a picture of her mom, and we see Michael Myers is watching her from the shadows.
0: All those shots are creepy throughout this movie, where Michael just kind of appears to Jamie. I do like the way those were done.
1: Yeah. And... She goes to go to bed. And what does she do? Now I lay me down to sleep. You know, she says the prayer and everything. And then Michael Myers attacks her. But it was just a dream. And uh, I think she's even found crying in the closet, holding the, the box of pictures. Right. So we already know that there's, you know, lots of weird shit going on in this poor girl's head. So the next day, which is Halloween, Rachel gets told she has to babysit. But she wanted to go on a date. And, uh, cause she actually says some shit about how I'm going to be stuck watching her and fucking little Jamie's like right behind her here and all this shit.
0: She's honestly like an adorable child actress in this movie. Oh yeah.
1: (laughs) She's like, she's like where I thought we would have seen, uh, Heather O'Rourke go like really, really reminds me of being that in tune with the character.
0: I like Rachel's little speech about (laughs) her mom about, (laughs) I think that Brady was going to make a commitment tonight. Yeah. (laughs) My relationship, my marriage and your future grandchildren. (laughs) It's just all fucking so high school and ridiculous.
1: Yes. She is a little delusional in that sense, but she apologizes to Jamie and she kind of bonds with her and she tells her that she's going to take her out for ice cream and out for trick or treating later. This is going to be another one of those with weird back and forth cuts. Um, (laughs) We see Loomis confronting Hoffman about the transfer. And right then Hoffman gets a call about an accident. Right. So let's just throw all this in here real quick. And Donald Pleasance has a fried egg on the side of his face. Yes.
0: <laughs> Did you know that this ambulance scene originally when they filmed it, you just hold the ambulance full of blood and they didn't show what happened. And oh, really most of the like extra gory scenes were reshoots afterwards because they're like we got to make this movie. Okay. Like more. And so they reshot him like doing the thumb and shit.
1: And part of that was good because in the reshoots, they actually redid Donald Pleasant's burn makeup because it yeah. was his girlfriend watching some of the, some of what had been cut with him that said, why do you have a fried egg on the side of your face?
0: He actually went to Bugler and told him to <laughs> redo it because like he was fine with it. until so his girlfriend made fun of him. Yep, And
1: then it's like things you can't unsee. <laughs> And there's mix-ups with this makeup oh. about the movie. Like, he has the... Oh, okay, okay. Oh, yeah. So, as they go on scene to the ambulance crash, <laughs> Lewis is taken off. And it's like, where are you going? It's like, I'm going to Haddonfield. It's a four-hour drive. You can reach me through the local police. If you don't find him in four hours, I'm sure I will. And in this scene, you can already see two different cuts where the burn makeup changes. And like you said, man, it goes on throughout the movie, but we'll let it go. At least it doesn't change sides of the face. <laughs> he should be burned a lot. Like. <laughs> yes, he should. Because he got blown the fuck up. He's, he's burned up. He got burned scars. He survived. <laughs> the end. <laughs> no, no, no. That's part eight. Um, so we cut to uh, Michael Myers stabbing a mechanic that's working on a car at a service station. And Loomis just happens to be stopping at this same Service station. And no gas stop for 50 miles. <laughs> You've seen those signs, right? No, I just saw no mo gas. <laughs> but um, I think he kills the uh, the waitress lady, too. And Loomis goes in and sees the bodies in the little diner thing attached to the service station. And he actually offers himself up to Michael Myers as a sacrifice. He's like, take me. Yeah, he you need sees- someone. Take me. Leave them alone.
0: I love the way it's shot, though, because, he, you know, he sees Michael standing there with the bandages like behind the kitchen and he's like offering himself up he's like you can take me and not kill anybody and then he fucking quick draws and like loads yeah. on him but he's
1: already gone like I don't it, know it, if it doesn't magical. show a move. Dun, dun,
0: dun. It, it's, it's like f- Captain Kirk fucking teleporting I'm telling you When he didn't have the mask on yet When Shit. you no power when you see the behind the scenes they talk about how they rigged the actor with a rope so that they could quick yank him out and he got hurt doing it yeah and it's like why you don't see him leave it was a
1: cut I know <laughs> totally unnecessary walk away (laughs) so mikey steals a tow truck and he takes off clipping the gas pumps on his way out and everything blows up and by everything i mean they even take a point to show you shots of telephone lines exploding (laughs) i know so loomis gets blown behind some shit but he's okay because that's what happens when explosions happen dr loomis just flashes through the air but he obviously has no car now because it blows the fuck up big time. Like, I'm missing out on Michael Bay joke here. And uh, <laughs> the phone lines have exploded as well, so he can't make any calls. So back at school, we see Jamie getting teased about her uncle, the boogeyman, and her dead mom. Yay! These are terrible
0: little fucking shits and they're the real villain of the film.
1: They are. But that one kid has the mask uh, costume on literally mask. Yeah. Yeah. Like the cartoon show and everything. I forget which character he is, but you and me both, we remember this cartoon (laughs) at any rate. Got fucking motorcycles turning into helicopters and shit. (laughs) Yes. But, uh, Rachel and Lindsay come pick Jamie up and they take her to the discount store for her, uh, for Rachel to see Brady and for Jamie to pick up a costume. Jamie picks out a clown costume that looks a little similar to one we may have seen before and even sees herself do an instant gender change in the mirror, swapping into a boy briefly. (laughs) While this is going on, Michael Myers grabs a mask and lunges at her. She slams into the mirror and he's gone. She's sitting there crying and Rachel comes up and she tells Rachel that it was the nightmare man. You might be onto something with this teleporting shit.
0: (laughs) I do want to say that before Rachel goes to talk to Brady, he's standing there with two guys. One of them we find out is Wade because he's saying he wants to go hit on the sheriff's daughter. Yeah. Right. And they're all betting money. They didn't have the balls. He's like, I ain't afraid of the sheriff. And he walks up and looks at her and she just turns around on the ladder and goes, fuck you, Wade. Yeah. (laughs) He just punks out. The third guy has no name and is not mentioned. He was written to be Tommy grown up originally. Oh, no shit. And there's a girl later that reminds me of Tina from part five, but it's Rachel's friend that's driving the car here in a few minutes. Yeah. And that was Lindsay. Yeah, so they were both in the movie growing up, and then they didn't give them names and just made them anonymous. Actually, her name might be Lindsay. Yeah, that's like to say. But it's... she's not the Lindsay, but she was oh. supposed to be the Lindsay, and they went more into it. And then the other kid, the the other friend of Brady's that works at the store was Tommy. So I don't know if that would have been cool. Like that would have more just been a throwback. Yeah, because the town is a character in these movies as well. Yeah, and that would have been more of like a throwback because it doesn't affect the plot, but I just thought it was kind of neat to say.
1: Yeah, that's neat. And there's things in here where stuff could have and should have gone in different directions or different ideas were played with. And it didn't really fall apart until six. And this is where
0: you can see the writer was a fan.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Actually knowing what to bring in.
0: I swear to God, though, I always confuse the actress that plays the Lindsay in this movie and like Tina from the next one. Like they always get mixed uh, up in my head.
1: If I hadn't seen the movies in a little bit. Fuck. Yeah. <laughs> Cause I'd never seen these until Podcast. oh really i'd never seen four and five until the podcast we cut to loomis who is now on foot and he gets picked up by the crazy ass drunk <laughs> preacher but it's cool because he's hunting evil too right <laughs> i see you
0: you're on the hunt as well that fucking <laughs> <laughs> seems so ridiculous loomis you would think he would be afraid of the psychiatric patient next to him but he just fucking drinks has a good old time yeah
1: because he's like looking at him like man this guy's fucking nuts And he's like you want to drink uh, i do but on to halloween night So we've got Michael Myers peeps on Rachel while Jamie gets ready. Pervy Mikey. So when they go to leave, Mikey goes in and finds Jamie's box of pictures. And meanwhile, we've got Loomis meeting up with Brackett's replacement, which is Meeker.
0: Fantastic slasher sheriff. Just (laughs) going to say it again. I love him these two
1: movies. But he's cool as the sheriff because he's got a daughter, too. (laughs) It's like they traded one for the other, man. It really is. I mean, Um, why can't sheriffs have daughters? What's so unusual about that to you? (laughs) Well, it's just like what we just had happen. It was like, oh, sheriff's daughter's dead. It's like, are we going to go here again? You got to think the time
0: window in here, though. It's like 10 years since the last one.
1: True. Well, I'm just talking about the fear of how the movie is going to go at this point. You know what I mean? You think it's like a cut and paste? Uh Uh-huh. Because you don't really know yet. Um, But I think this is when when we see the box of pictures that we actually quote unquote see dad, cause there's a picture of a guy with Jamie on his shoulders, but never gets said anything about. Oh, okay. And if you go down the like fan fiction, uh, wiki wormhole um, there's the name, but you know, we've got the whole thing with, I may have glossed over this or it may happen later in here, but I was going to fucking say it now. The story is that Jamie strode Myers Lloyd, Gruthers, whichever way you want to go with all the last names that get thrown out in this fucking film, she actually ended up having a kid with a dude, which ended up being Jamie, and then they died in a car wreck. And that's the setup in here. And if I fucking left it out, I'm sorry. (laughs) So, of course, Loomis gives his spiel to Meeker about how Michael Myers is back and he's going to kill Lori's daughter, Jamie, and he goes on his rant.
0: I tell you, Michael Myers is here in this town. He's here to kill that little girl and anybody who gets in his way.
1: At least he knew there
0: was a niece this time. He didn't know Laurie was the sister before, I know, right? right?
1: As the girls trick or treat, Mikey watches them as they go up to the Meeker house. And we find out that Brady is now an O'Neill <laughs> <laughs> douche bag. O'Neill strikes again. <laughs> Cause he's trying to get with little miss hot pants. Cops do it by the book. Exactly. You do know that's the bride of reanimator, right? Yes. Okay. okay. Yeah, yeah. We talked about that. Cause you're like, she's the chick, the sheriff's daughter, all right. Ford. I'm like, she's the chick from renegade man. That's all <laughs> I got. <laughs> but, uh, I think it's weird that, that I think it's Rachel calls her little miss hot pants. She's wearing no pants.
0: I think it's more odd that the sheriff's okay that his slutty daughter wears a shirt that
1: says cops do it by the book. Is she banging the deputy? I mean, oh, what's going on? Who knows, man? I, th- I have a harder problem later on when he comes home and she's still in the same getup and he's not like, put on some fucking pants. He kind of addresses it to Brady, though. To Brady, yes, but not
0: to her. Because um, just the first scene that those two filmed was the sex scene. <laughs> <laughs> oh that's got to be awkward as an actor or actress and it's like day one and you're like all right you guys are gonna go uh you guys are gonna go bang by the fireplace
1: <laughs> but uh while rachel and uh and brady are having their little argument jamie takes off with the rest of the kids she just wants to go trick-or-treating man yeah that's a good time just wander off into the darkness with a killer on the loose who's specifically after you
0: yeah yeah she not know all this.
1: Thing. I know. So we then cut to this news report at a bar, which seems like a weird cut at first, but it's just a setup. We're hearing that the town's been put on curfew. So the barkeep calls the police and there's no answer. So him and the drunks all load up to head over to the police station to see what the fuck's going on. Yeah. Cause he's like, I'm going to call the
0: sheriff cause I ain't shutting down without no good reason. Yeah. And he's like, let's roll guys. When nobody answers at the phone. He's like, what's wrong? He's like, there's no reason for the police not to answer the phone or something. Like, that. So yeah. it's just like He goes from, I'm not shutting down for shit. To this. It kind of makes me think of the uh, bartender with from Silver Bullet.
1: With yes, the baseball bat. I exactly. always think of that. I've even got a public justice line coming up in here. <laughs> um, so while this is going on, Loomis and Meeker find the pictures and the dead dog. Because, you know, Mikey got hungry again. He always <laughs> eats the fucking dogs, man. Rats, raccoons, where the fuck he can find. So we have another weird
0: cut to Bucky, the utility worker. <laughs> Did you know the props master's name
1: was Bucky yes. and he fucking
0: stuck his name on that hat?
1: Yep. <laughs> and uh, Michael Myers shows up and he throws Bucky onto some transformers at the power station, knocking out power to the whole fucking town. Because as we see in these movies, suddenly Michael Myers is like, I'm not just going to walk around and kill people. I'm going to turn off the power too. I mean he cut the phone line and shit in the first one. Yeah, but it wasn't overt and it gets I'm getting into six. And
0: he took out the power in Wallace at the Wallace house. Right? That's why Jamie's Walking Through the House Dark. Fuck. He was an efficient serial killer. Fuck. He was already into taking out power. Okay, I retract my previous statement. And if you think about it, like when they're trying to get back to the roots in Halloween 2018, he was just a fucking serial killer. Like yeah. he, he knew how to take people out. Okay. Why? I don't know. He was locked in a padded room and drugged up and drooling and pissing on himself. But somehow he came up with these master plans.
1: (laughs) So keep in mind right now, we've got Jamie separated from Rachel and Rachel's looking for Jamie. And now Jamie's separated for the kids because we have a bunch of quick cuts back and forth. But eventually Loomis and Meeker pick them up. And as they do, they get surrounded by several Michael Myers everywhere they look. But it's just dudes in (laughs) masks. Except for one that's seen as they drive away, who seems very, very particular why wouldn't they have outlawed this mask in town? I don't know. Cause it's almost like you're supposed to think that on the one hand, the town's like, Oh, that's just a story. And on the other hand, it's like with the guys from the bar, like, Oh, if this shit ever happens, we know we got to be ready. right. So it's a good question.
0: I mean, he is the boogeyman of the town and they reference like people know about the Myers murders a yeah. lot. Right. So I don't know. It's just really odd to me that not only I mean, I get, you couldn't outright ban the mask because say it was just like, a, it's like the ghost face mask, right? Like it's just generic mask that you can get in any five and dime store. It seems like this one town would just stop carrying them. And there was no Amazon yet. Yeah. Bezos hadn't built his empire.
1: <laughs> but uh, they head to the station and find it trash along with a uh, fucked up dead cop. And <laughs> Meeker asks Loomis, uh, what are we dealing with upon seeing the dead cop? evil. So outside, they're confronted by the soon-to-be mob, and uh, Loomis tells them Michael Myers is back. You haven't got a police force! These men
0: may be the only defense you've got.
1: So we then see Michael Myers' Uber driver give him a ride to the Meeker house. Because he's stowing away in the back seat, and the cop just hops in and drives. I love that scene, because in this movie, like I said, the writer did a good job in this movie. He's a a serial killer.
0: He's like, oh, I'm just going to ride in the cop car. They'll fucking take me where I need to go. And i Thought that was one of the better scenes to explain how he got from point A to point B.
1: Yeah, because he doesn't have a stolen car in this movie. No, right? So yeah, this is, we do not get to see Mikey driving this one, but we do get to see him be a stowaway more than once. <laughs> so meanwhile, we've got Team Public Justice, and they're sure as shit they've spotted Mikey, and they shoot the shit out of him, and then realize he's a fucking townie. They did this really
0: bad in, like, 80s movies. You get, like, all these guys open fire at one bush, but for some reason, like, the spray is 30 foot wide, and it's like, what were you guys shooting yeah. at? And you They hear, were at
1: a bar, though. They were. And the <laughs> other bad thing about those kind of shots is you hear every shot ricochet for some reason. So it's, I don't know, maybe it's to harken back to Westerns because they did that all the time, but it's it's so bad. So we need something to lift us back from the sad news of the drunk mob killing the townie sex scene. Oh yeah. (laughs) So Kelly and Brady are about to get down and we don't see anything. We come so close, but we don't see anything. Not that that's sticking point. I'm just trying to sell the scene. I'm not a perv. She's pretty hot. Um, (laughs) Nice ass on this one. (laughs) And oh shit. Dad's home. Her pop the (laughs) cop. Fucking, she's like, when they hear somebody, she's like, I think it's my dad. And Brady's like, your dad, because <laughs> he knows he is fucked. Yeah. And they're like shoving clothes up under cushions and shit and like getting dressed back up. And she's sitting down and he's sitting down. But she just gets back into the fucking t-shirt. It's the fucking cops do it by the book and sexy panties. And that's it. And well, she's the shirt
0: like, is long though. It covers the panties. It is, but still. I just love how like when Rachel comes out of the house with Jamie and sees Brady there and he comes out and he goes, I'm not like normal guys. You just made me mad. And then he still goes in there to bang banger. He is like those guys.
1: <laughs> he, he is. He's a frigging O'Neill. He's a <laughs> either douchebag or crotch dog. Take your pick. <laughs> so the group comes in um, with a Uber cop into and Meeker comes in and gives Brady a shotgun. He tells him to secure the attic. He also tells him not to grope his daughter. or He's going to use that shotgun on him. <laughs> yep. So he, he's not dumb. He sees what's going on. Because his daughter still, I still think she's, between what it says on the shirt and the lack of pants, she's dressed too slutty to have boyfriend over. I'm not even a father. And if I was, and I walked in on that shit, somebody better be calling the cops because I'm not asking questions. <laughs> I think Sheriff Meeker's thinking from that state of mind, but he also knows
0: that serial killer Michael Myers is about to come into his fucking house and he's got bigger shit to worry about. Who whoop their ass later? Touche. Because you got to think like, at this point, you know what happened to the last sheriff. Yeah. <laughs> you know what happened in town. You've heard the stories, even if you're not from around there originally, which probably not the case because it's a small town, Haddonfield, right? Yeah. You've heard the stories and you've now found your entire police station destroyed with the cops dead, right? True. Like,
1: shit's about to go down. Whoop ass later. Okay. Okay. Well, he's not going to have to whoop ass later, but we'll get to that in a minute. <laughs> so Uber cop goes back out, I think to get another gun out of the car
0: we don't mean uber like he's a badass we mean uber like he's a lift driver yeah
1: yeah we can yeah uber Lyft whatever they have where you are that that's my joke here um because he gave mikey a ride and and he's he's an oblivious cop and i want to berate him as m- much as i can do you always check the back seat of your car when you get into it more often than not yes because of where i live
0: I do it because a hundred percent of the time, because of the fucking movies that I grew up watching. And I don't know if I was a cop in Haddonfield and Michael Myers on the loose, I would have checked the back seat.
1: I know. Right. And it's like, he's not a small dude. He's a sizable man. He's not even down in the floorboard. He's laid down in the back seat with this stark white fucking mask. Like it's not that hard to see, but apparently this cop drives for Uber and this is his fare. <laughs> is the shape a good tipper? <laughs> he's good with tips. Oh, that means two things. <laughs> all right. Let's get this train back on the tracks. So Uber cop comes back in and, uh, he says to maker, he's like, isn't this all a little paranoid? And it's real funny. Cause you can actually see Michael Myers like down through the next room in the background already inside the house while that's going on. I don't know if I've ever caught that. And I've seen this movie a lot. Yeah. You can see him in the background. So, um, I know what I'm doing. When I get home tonight. <laughs> eating food, but then I'm going to pull that seat up. So Uber cop. And if it's not obvious to anyone yet at this point, I never noted this guy's name. Um, I got officer Charlie in uh, five. Yeah. This guy does not make it to five.
0: <laughs> <laughs> officer Charlie's worth naming. Okay.
1: But, uh, he posts up at the door. And now at this point, the front door is the only exit because they've boarded up everything else. So, and Meeker even says, like, he's going to have to come in and out of this door.
0: And it's one of those doors that, like, you have to lock with a key and Meeker has the key,
1: uh-huh. which sucks. Yeah, it does. So, um uh, Meeker radios for the state troopers, and there's some exposition there where it's, you know, how are you running this thing? Batteries. Oh, okay. (laughs) Just in case anybody's wondering, him and Loomis have a conversation about it being battery operated. It's because this rider knew what the fuck he was doing. So um, Loomis heads for Jamie's house because that's where he's going to go first. Maybe he can stop him there. And this is when Rachel and Hot Pants get into it over Brady in the kitchen. Right. Cause uh, she's, she's like, you <laughs> need to wise up to what men really want or you're going to end up cold and alone or some
0: shit. She <laughs> says, uh, this isn't the, you need to learn what men really want or this isn't going to be the first man he lose. Yeah. <laughs> so something like that. I like Rachel. She's a good final girl. She is. She gets fucked in the second one or the fifth one, just like the girl in uh, Friday the 13th part two. Yep. But I'll get to that in a little bit. That's exactly
1: what I thought about. But, uh, Meeker hears about the shooting of the townie over the radio and he leaves as well. So now that she's made coffee, Kelly goes to bring Uber Cop some cause he's posted up in the dark all by himself. She lights a candle to reveal Michael Myers is sitting there holding Uber Cop's severed fucking head. And he stands up shotgun in hand about to fucking shoot Kelly, which would be dumb as shit. And no, he stakes her into the damn wall with the shotgun, which I'm okay with. <laughs>
0: I really like the scene because she comes in and you see the silhouette of what you think's a cop yeah. with a shotgun. She turns the light on or, or turns she, up a lantern she, she or lights something. She the candle, yeah. And you can see the dead cop like squished up in the corner and he just stands up with that gun and stabs her. I will say, I can't remember if you brought this up or not on this particular episode, but there was two actors to play Michael Myers and they fired the first guy, right? Was that this episode you said it? I couldn't, it, it's this movie. He, it is this movie. Yeah. yeah and okay. I don't remember the guy's name. I'm sorry. Cause he, but it, it's really funny because in the interview, he names some of the shots he did and it was like the bandage scene in the gas station, but he's also the guy with the shotgun in the rocking chair. That's right. And I'm like, what a weird scene to film early. Maybe they did. Well, they did the mm-hmm. Brady sex scene in front of the fireplace.
1: Yeah. So they were at a, that location. Yeah. So, so meanwhile, Rachel was told by Meeker to stay at the radio in case anybody called back when, uh, when he was going to leave, when he heard about the, uh, the townie getting shot because they need some dudes with some can do attitudes. Yes, they do. So we see, uh, Rachel get a call on the radio that help is on the way. So she goes upstairs. She's in the basement. That's where the radio is. Great reception down there, by the way. Um, so she heads upstairs, she finds Kelly and she runs into Brady and he tries to shoot. It's a double barrel shotgun. It's got two shots and he lets off a shot. No, two shots at the fucking front door because it's locked, but to no avail. So Rachel runs upstairs To get Jamie, Michael Myers starts coming up the stairs right behind Brady and Brady goes to shoot him, but it's fucking empty. What have we learned kids when you're in this kind of situation? If your weapon has to be reloaded, as soon as you are done firing, you fucking reload could have saved Brady's life. Moving on.
0: Probably not.
1: (laughs) He tries to reload, but Mikey slams into the wall, busts him in the face with the fucking gun, picks him up and breaks his neck. And it's framed in a way that you're waiting for him to get thrown out the window, but that never happens. Now, uh, in an interview I saw um, with a dude who played Brady, talks about how they put him on this teeter-totter rig. And that's how they do the raising somebody off the ground shots. And I'm like, why did I never think about that? Because I've always wondered how they did it. And you'll notice when he spits blood, it looks like he's spitting out like something. And it was the end of a take. And he thought that they weren't going to keep it and were immediately going to roll on another one because he was having trouble biting the blood capsule. And he literally spits out the blood capsule is what you're seeing in that shot. But that's the shot that ended up making it into the movie.
0: See, I thought he said that uh, they gave him the blood capsule, put it in his mouth and didn't actually tell him when he was supposed to do it. And he got sick of holding it and he bit it or he bit it waiting for them to give him a cue to spit it. And they never gave him a cue. So he's like, fuck it. And he spit it out. And then they kept it, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. It was a fucked up shot, but that's what they kept. It a, it's really out of place when he spits
0: it. Yeah, it's at least cool. it wasn't
1: one of those where it's like, and as you see him limping away, and he really sells it. Well, that's because he broke his fucking leg, and they kept the shot.
0: <laughs> it would have been cooler if he spit it in his face. Yeah, but it was all unplanned, so it doesn't matter. Well, and,
1: and he was a douche O'Neill, so he wouldn't, uh, he wouldn't have the balls. I don't to think he's that much
0: face. of a douche O'Neill. He's, I don't put him in that category. He's not.
1: I'm saying it to be funny. He's really just your typical horny dude. Not, he, a, I mean, not overt he, asshole.
0: He's good to Jamie earlier in the movie, and he does try to be a hero right here. A douche O'Neal would not be a hero.
1: Douche O'Neal would have jumped the banister and ran.
0: Douche (laughs) O'Neal might have tripped Rachel.
1: (laughs) I just got to be faster than you. Guys, don't be a douche O'Neill. So anyways, (laughs) Rachel and Jamie go up into the attic and end up out on the roof. And Michael Myers, for the first time in this movie, finally grabs a knife because there's a conveniently placed kitchen knife in the attic. I'm okay with this. (laughs) Are you... (laughs) Oh, with it being in the attic or with Michael Myers finally grabbing one? (laughs) The attic. I'm fine with both. Fuck it. I don't, I know he has a knife and I knew he got it
0: in the house. I don't know if I ever paid enough attention to realize that he got it out of the attic. Yep. Not until he's in the attic. I like this movie. So my brain probably retconned it to the kitchen every time.
1: I like this movie too. And there's just, I'm trying to throw a little bit of humor in here. So the girls go out onto the roof and Rachel slips and nearly loses Jamie. And, uh, and nearly loses her insides in real yes, life. Yes. Because she slid down and there was a popped up nail on the roof set that supposedly ripped her stomach open.
0: Yeah. Cause there was an actual house, but they built like a set of the roof that was six feet off the ground. So nobody would die if yep. they fell. But they, just like everything in this movie, hastily put it together. Hello, tetanus shot. So, uh, that's Mike. pretty cool, though, that she went right back in and filmed the scene after
1: they stitched her up. Yeah. So uh Mikey shows up, and uh Rachel tries to lower Jamie via um some antenna wire. But Michael's too close, and she drops her, but she doesn't fall. She's tangled and hanging. So she rolls away, and she's hanging from a fucking gutter. She hangs there for a minute, getting slashed at, and then falls to her death, as far as we know at that point. So Jamie makes her way down... uh the wires. I guess she untied herself or something, whatever. And she runs over to Rachel, and we find out Rachel's still alive. That was like real brief moment of thinking that she's gone. So uh I always just thought she was unconscious. I don't know, man. Did you hear that scream on the way down? That's a death scream. <laughs> it's a Wilhelm scream. <laughs> they the Wilhelm scream, which neither one of us remember to bring up during fucking swamp thing. <laughs>
0: I mean, it's in every movie. Just I know, right? About. There's no point in bringing up a Wilhelm scream. I hate it. Every time I see that shit on something, I'm like, it's in everything.
1: Who cares? So Jamie runs into Loomis. And this is the only thing that really bothers me in this movie. It's like, as people run around in the neighborhood, it's like, really wish somebody could save me. Oh, Dr. Loomis. He's our hero. And uh, he takes her to the school. And this is where the <laughs> the pink and white Michael Myers pops up. And uh, he throws Loomis through a window and then he grabs Jamie but Rachel shows up with a fire extinguisher sprays them down and is able to escape with Jamie as they're coming out the uh, public justice mob rolls up and they take the girls in the truck to take them out of town cuz so they're like Michael Myers is still in there let's get the fuck out of here cuz i think one one of the guys <laughs> says the other one's like do, do you want to go in there he's like no nah.
0: <laughs> i do want to say so the writer wrote a bit with Jamie hiding under the desk and Michael walking and flipping the fucking desk over. And that guy and they used- ended up not using it, but Mustafa pulled that from the script to use in h uh, H2O, yep. which is
1: a cool fucking scene. It is. So they're all driving off in the truck, but they've got a fucking stowaway and it's Michael Myers. And he throws the guys out of the back of the truck and then he reaches in and rips the driver's throat out, which was a little weird, but I'm still okay with it. That's actually one of the, Reshot scenes because the movie wasn't gory enough. Ah, okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So Rachel slams on the brakes, throwing Michael Myers off. She's a smart final girl. He sits up and she plows into him.
0: Did you see that uh, fucking poor Wilbur, the way they filmed it, she was supposed to hit him multiple times and they did it. And then they edited <laughs> it down to just one hit even though they wrote it. It was like three or five. This poor stunt guy had to get like fake hit with a car and roll over and over again.
1: <laughs> that sucks for him, but if that was the idea, that's I like it better that it was just the one hit. Well, we don't know what
0: the other hits looked like because it doesn't make Uh, sense with the one we got.
1: Oh, about getting him from point A to point B?
0: Yeah, I'm assuming we saw hit five or hit three, whatever the last one was. We don't know like the other bumps or whatever. Yeah, because
1: they were up on the road and then now we're fixing to be like down in the woods it seems. Right, right. Okay. But uh, Jamie looks on and she has this look on her face like she knows something that we don't. And as the cops roll up because, you know, The cavalry was on the way. The guys with the can-do attitude, as you refer to them. Jamie goes down, and she holds Mikey's hand. And it, like, wakes him up, it seems. And the cops tell her to get away, and they shoot the bejesus out of him. And he (laughs) falls into a hole, a well, something. I think it's a well, because
0: he does fall in there with water that leads off to the stream. I just want to point out— them unloading on him is always memorable to me just because the amount of times I watch this movie on VHS, but I was talking to one of the guys at work about it this week okay. and I was telling him the, like when I used to tell the story to like other kids and like junior high and shit, talking about this movie, I always pictured Meeker. I was like, oh, they shot a grenade launcher <laughs> at Michael Myers and he's so powerful that he can't die that the grenades wouldn't explode when they hit him. And it was like a spas twelve fucking combat shotgun. Yeah. I know as I'm older. Now granted they did make it look like Dragon's Breath with the slow <laughs> with the slow motion fucking, you know.
1: Flare uh, shooting out the dragons, bro.
0: But like when I, when I was younger, I just, for some reason I thought it was a goddamn fucking grenade launcher. And it was a combat shotgun.
1: You know, it's funny that you brought that up because I was watching this with the wife for the podcast and uh, she had never seen it. And uh, oh, hell, I had never seen it. That's that's the one thing I'm going to go ahead and throw in here. Josh had only seen one. Later realized, I, I know I had seen two, just didn't really remember it. Later realized I had seen six and H2O. But hadn't seen any of these other movies before doing this episode of the podcast, just so everybody knows. But the wife goes, why Why does a cop have that big, giant, whatever she said about the gun? And I'm like, it's it's just a 12 gauge. It just has the, you know, the stock's folded up and it does have a carrying handle, blah, blah, blah. But it was funny that she brought up, what's that?
0: Well, it's like a SWAT shotgun, right? Yeah. Hadn't filled a SWAT team. <laughs> right it off as that. Uh, Heddenfield has a Michael Myers, so they have a SWAT team. That's why. That's hey, Ginger, better. Hey, Ginger, they have the shape, so they have combat shotguns.
1: Oh, so thankfully it's all over. A little bit of postscript. So back home, mom starts a bath for Jamie, and then we see a POV shot pick up some scissors, pull down a mask, and enter the bathroom. And it looks to be at quite a low height. We hear a scream, and we see Loomis start up the stairs. He freezes and screams, no, no. The theme kicks in, and we see at the top of the stairs a blood-covered Jamie, scissors in hand. The end.
0: I fucking love his scream there, his performance. Mm-hmm. Bo Star, you know, Sheriff Meeker running in and stopping him. His look when they look up. Yeah. It's fantastic. They didn't let Danielle Harris film that scene, and she never understood why. She's like, I did all this other fucked up shit, but I couldn't be the one with the fake scissors stabbing. Yeah. Because that comes up more in five. You can see the stabbing.
1: Yeah, but they wouldn't let her do it. They let her stand there covered in blood holding the scissors, but they wouldn't let her do the stabbing motion.
0: (laughs) So the way it was written, when she grabbed his hand, it was basically like he transferred into her. Okay. So like the curse, the soul. Went into her and it's not so much like the, you know, there wasn't a curse of the thorn yet. Yeah. So it was more like he possessed her body. They didn't really get into all that, right? No. And the writer's intention was for Halloween five for Jamie to be the killer. Yep. Now I've seen Daniel Harris make a joke in an interview, like, I don't I don't get it. Was I supposed to be a sidekick? That wasn't the intention. It was for <laughs> her to be the killer. And really, I mean, it would have been harder to do because the first one took place in seventy-eight and it has the flashback to 63, right? Yeah. You could have had, they could have time-lapsed it, and Jamie was older yep. and broke out. And I don't know, I think that was the direction the franchise needed to go.
1: Oh, yeah. it Coming off of 3, which we'll get into, of trying to take the the whole thing in a totally different direction, this direction made would have made sense in the universe and would have been fun and would have opened more options. At the same time, we're the big angry gods that can't be pleased. So I'm sure we would have been mad about it had they went that direction anyways, but it was something fresh without going too far out there.
0: I mean, the first time I saw four before I bought it on VHS, because as a teenager, I owned one and four on VHS and I didn't have streaming shit obviously because this was the 90s and uh and a
1: 28.8 bps modem
0: right, right. i didn't know that yet uh, so i wore out one and four on vhs and the others i would just have to catch on like usa would marathon four and five sometimes so that's all i saw five okay but the first time i saw four as a teenager and already a diehard fan that dresses up as michael myers regularly for halloween as soon as i saw that scene i was like because this movie came out what 88 yeah so i mean i saw it after. I didn't see it when I was, I don't remember seeing it in the eighties anyways. Yeah. But when I saw it and I saw that scene, I was like, yes, Jamie's going to be the fucking killer in the next <laughs> one. And then
1: I saw five and I was like, Oh yeah, it really was. It really was a letdown because it, it seemed so good, but I liked the movie. I thought it was a great getting back on track for the franchise And what was to come, we'd find out really fast in 89 with Halloween 5, The Revenge of Michael Myers.
0: Like I said earlier, I like the curse of the Thorn trilogy in a vacuum. So I like this movie in some ways. In other ways, I don't. (laughs) It was a really interesting approach. They asked the writer and director from the fourth one to come back. They didn't want to do it. I'm fairly certain it's because Mustafa Kod said they couldn't go along with the Jamie. Storyline, and they're like, "Fuck it, we're out."
1: Yeah, somebody, s- some producer derailed the idea,
0: but they brought in a French director named. I'm sorry, I'm gonna butcher this, Dominique Othinen Gerard. Actually, that sounds pretty good. Works for me, man. It was written by him, Michael Jacobs, and Shem Bitterman. If I remember correctly, the two writers had fucking never written anything before, <laughs> and the director had only done like just like French artsy movies. None of them had any fucking horror experience. <laughs> the director of photography also had no horror experience and almost no experience either. So, why the fuck did Compass or whoever fucking owned the rights as a company bring in all these people that didn't know what the fuck they were doing to carry on the franchise?
1: One thing I do know is that Four made money. And it was, yeah. it was like, holy shit, we're back on track. So this brings us back to the debate from earlier. Maybe he didn't care. Maybe all he cared about was getting another movie out as fast as possible, and this was the quickest crew he could get together.
0: I like three, and we'll get into that when we get to three. It's a good movie for an 80s horror movie, just ignoring it as a Halloween movie, which it kind of is ignored as a Halloween movie, right? But I have a
1: theory about that when we get to it, by the way.
0: But I just want to say... I guess they could have been scared. This is what happened last time we made a movie without Michael Myers. However, it's not the same thing. That was a completely different story. It wasn't even in fucking Haddonfield. Yeah. Three.
1: They could have even brought Michael back later. You could, you could have done, you could have had Jamie Killen in part five and have the twist at the end be michael myers showing back up you still could have brought him back
0: or the possession went into a grown-up body i mean we're getting into jason goes to hell kind of at that we point are. but that hadn't happened yet either so i don't know i mean i could see the apprehension but there's a lot of retconning in this movie to an extent as well <laughs> i will say the special effects was done by Canby studios and greg nicotero was running it so that's yep. kind of cool one of the girls in this movie is actually his girlfriend at the time. I don't remember which one. I'll figure it out. Maybe, maybe it's in my notes. But we do have the return of Donald Pleasance as Doctor Loomis, Daniel Harris as Jamie, Ellie Cornell as Rachel, who I don't think you mentioned on the last one. I did not. My bad, guys. Bo fucking stars back as Sheriff Meeker. I mean, essentially it's the same cast, but we add a few new teenagers to get murdered that are Rachel's <laughs> friends, right? I mean, <laughs>
1: a few new teenagers to get murdered. I will say
0: we have a different shape it's don shanks and honestly when they interview all of the different shapes this guy does one of the better interviews of explaining his stunt coordinating and just being like on top of it okay when we get to the third one i'm gonna give my shape rankings and i'm gonna see what yours are so okay but i like this guy he might not he might not be number i mean nick castle i'm just gonna go and say this is my favorite shape but like we i like knew. this guy i like this guy in the interviews <laughs> i have a beer with this guy It's a lot of people i'd have beers with <laughs> I do want to say there's a documentary that's not even on the Shout Factory DVD that's four, five, and six. It's kind of cheap. that They call it that. It barely gets into six. Yeah. But I have had that thing saved in my bookmarks for years, and I even sent it to (laughs) Josh. I was like, watch this. It's a work of art. I've seen it a bunch. I didn't watch it as we were doing this. I finished all my notes, and last night I went to go watch the doc just to see if I could pull anything, and the
1: video had been pulled. Oh, really? It was literally just up when I tested it before I sent you the link. Well, yeah, because I watched it this last week after (laughs) work because I got to four and I was like, okay, I'm going to watch this thing. And I was like, I'm going to watch the whole thing on four, five, and six and then do my notes. And uh, I just watched the part about four. And then when I was getting ready to do my notes for six, I was like, well, I'm going to watch what's in between about five just so I understand continuity. And it got to six and tells the one story and I'm like, and then it ends and I'm like. What the fuck is that?
0: <laughs> See, I watched four and then I was like, I'm going to watch five and six and then go back and watch the doc. It was gone. I was like, what the fuck? So at least it made it for you to watch it. Yeah. Yeah. Cause there's a bunch of good shit in there. That's crazy. I wonder why that wasn't on the show. I guess cause shout factory or scream factory or the fuck didn't make it.
1: Yeah. And that's what was weird was the couple of them on there that didn't have any behind the scenes.
0: But anyways, we opened the movie up and it's essentially the end of H4, but with some more scenes in there. Right. Yeah. And I don't remember what all's extra, but <laughs> I do love watching Sheriff Meeker walk up to the hole with a fucking pack of dynamite and light it, fire in the <laughs> hole, and he drops that <laughs> bitch in there. Like like I said, I really like the writer from four because Lots of times in these slasher movies, no matter what, you know, we're on number 18 out of the franchise, right? And the cops still pop two shots into him. They're like, oh, we're done, guys. And he gets up and murders them all. They fucking unloaded with an entire militia and combat shotguns. And then the sheriff threw dynamite in the hole at them. They handled it right in this
1: one. Yeah, or at least attempted to do their very best. In
0: these extra scenes, we see, like, as the explosion happens, Michael happened to go out into a creek out of the cave that the well went into, right? And ride the stream down. You're introduced to a character, and I'm a little confused on part of this. There was originally an entire Dr. Death scene, and I'll go into that in a second. Okay. But essentially, there's there's a hermit that lives in like a little shack, and Michael Myers stumbles into him in the door, and you'd assume Michael would just kill him. But the guy takes care of him and puts him on a bed, and we're just supposed to assume that he took care of him for a year. Okay? Yeah. However, the original opening, the guy was Dr. Death. And I don't know if it was a different scene, because I've seen footage of like another guy finding his body on the ground. But 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 the original idea was that this guy was like a voodoo guy of some, some way and there's weird shit in the house. And when he lays Michael on the stones, he starts putting runes down and he basically did a spell and brought him back to life.
1: Oh.
0: So that was all cut, but there is a thorn tattoo on Michael's wrist in this movie. Yeah. It's just a line of the triangle in the middle, okay? Pops up a lot. We cut to All Hallows Eve one year later in Haddonfield at a children's clinic. Okay. Jamie's asleep and she's having nightmares of stabbing her stepmother to death. Foster mother, whatever. (laughs) She wakes up and she has inaudible screams. The nurse runs in and wants to know if she needs her to call her mom. So I guess mom lived through the violent scissor stabbing. Yeah, we're going off the rails real quick. Yep, yep, yep. And apparently Jamie's now mute from the PTSD or the shock, trauma, yes, whatever.
1: No. Uh, we got to pay you too much if you have a speaking role. <laughs> <laughs> I don't
0: know how that works with small children. But we start kind of seeing that Jamie and Mikey are linked in some way because it flashes between her in the bed and Mikey with a tattoo of the thorn on his wrist and his hand starts moving. And he's like, there's symbols on the rocks. They kept some of that. Yeah. And she's kind of moving in sync with him. So they are linked in some way. We continue to cut between Jamie and Mikey as Mikey sets up, puts on his mask. that has been there for a year, apparently. (laughs) Puts it on, kills Dr. Death. Meanwhile, Jamie is acting out all of this, putting on the mask, swinging. And she grabs her chalkboard like as she kind of seizes and writes, he's coming for me on the chalkboard. Yep. She goes into a panic attack and the doctors rush her to it looks like an ER, but it's gotta be in the children's clinic, right? Yeah. I guess it could have an emergency room in there. But the the doctor's about to f- perform a tracheotomy on her and then Loomis runs in and stops him and he says, uh she'll stabilize, which she does in a minute. And then he asks, Don't you see? She has something to tell us.
1: I'm gonna go ahead and point out Loomis comes on a little strong in this one. He's always strong.
0: <laughs> The next morning, Loomis checks in on Jamie in her room and she's asleep with Rachel, an awesome final girl who survived with a <laughs> badass fight and everything at her side. I'm just throwing all that in there. Rachel's friend Tina, that I mix up with Lindsay from <laughs> four, comes through the window with I always thought it was her dog Max, because I don't watch five as much as the others. Yeah. And then I'm like, oh never mind, it's Rachel's dog Max. Probably to protect her from the boogeyman.
1: It's a bad idea. The boogeyman eats
0: dogs. Yeah. They don't know that that's like a adult. That's one of those fucking Popeye's chicken sandwiches. <laughs> German shepherd. Mm. This dog's not a German shepherd though, but they have a princess Halloween costume for Jamie, which it seems like a costume would be slightly traumatizing to the girl. Yes. I'm not a doctor, but uh, yeah. But Loomis interrupts their little party they're having in the room and Rachel says her goodbyes and she says that she's going to go out of town for two days to meet up with their parents and that mom and dad send their love. Apparently mom's not that angry about the stabbing. (laughs) Then you get a little jump scare of a rock smashing through the fucking window and you hear a car speed off in the distance and there's a note on it that says, The evil child must die. Public justice. (laughs) Public justice once again. You see Tina and Rachel start walking to Rachel's house, and they part ways, and Max is barking at some bushes. We see in the bushes, though, the shape is actually stalking Rachel, and apparently she's not aware anymore after a year. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to hark on this a little bit. Ellie, the actress that played Rachel, when she saw that she was going to be back in the movie, she assumed she was going to die in the movie at some point. And then when she read the script and saw like when she died, and not just when how she fucking dies. It's really pathetic. What they did with their character happened. The same thing in Friday, the 13th part two. Yeah. However, I like Rachel more than I liked her. So I don't know. It's fucking irritates the shit
1: out of me. Yeah. And same here, but it, it does. It feels just like uh Friday, the 13th,
0: but Rachel's taking a shower. Cause we didn't get any nude scenes of her. So they got to make sure they at least get a naked silhouette. Right. Yep. And we start to cut between her house and the children's hospital where Jamie's at. We see that the shape is sneaking into her house and Jamie can like sense or feel all of this, right? Yeah. She starts doing sign language to her friend Billy, who stutters really bad, so he's there for something. And um You mean ba Billy? Yeah. It's kind of an it reference there, right? Um but she's basically saying there's something wrong with Max. Billy's good at he knows a little bit of sign language, but he's really good at understanding her mouthing words we see throughout the movie. Yeah. They get Loomis. Loomis calls the house to check on Rachel and Max. And Rachel does answer the phone. And she sees that the back door is open and Max is missing. And Loomis tells her to get the fuck out of the house and run to the neighbors for help. <laughs> she dies. And this is the worst fucking part of the movie. I don't know if it's a French thing. <laughs> There's two dumbass cops that come and show up at the scene. But when they walk, you hear like clown horns. And, like, wonk, 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 and they're like really fucking stupid. And it's supposed to be a throwback to Last House on the Left with the two dumbass cops.
1: Okay, one, because I saw the thing where the the sound dude who had taken over the score put it in there and where the director told him stupid shit like Walk Like Penguins. But if you're going to have a throwback to anything, why those two cops? That was the biggest downfall of that fucking movie. We just recently talked about it. That's a horrible idea. <laughs> it was less out
0: of place in Last House on the Left, though, believe it or not. And that was a movie that involved, like, violent acts oh, of fucking yeah. rape and it was less out of place than it was in this movie
1: yeah this one when it fir- or at least for me when it first started hearing that music and the the add-ins in the background i had to stop for a second and, like really focus like is is that oh my god is that what i'm really hearing from the tv right now
0: but yeah i mean i don't know the fucking the music's the worst part like you could have had the two dumbass cops the way like they do the we we save cats dogs like the whole dialogue it's yeah. kind of funny but the the music ruins it
1: yeah it is detracting
0: and it just doesn't fit. And it's the only Halloween movie that has like slapstick jokes in it in any scene. They have better lines where they're goofy, but yeah. they're comical. They walk like penguins. Like you said, they have a the stupid clown music. Okay. You want to do an homage to last house and left. It fell fucking flat. Yep. But then we cut to a scene where Loomis is asking Jamie if she can sense things that the shape's doing. And we're seeing shape, the shape stalk Rachel at her house. Yeah. We see the shape stab Rachel to death with scissors, and Jamie can feel it. So Loomis is on to something. He knows she can sense, see, feel the shit, and he's wanting to use her to get to Mikey. Just like in a vampire movie. (laughs) Actually, yeah. John Carpenter's vampires. But John Carpenter had absolutely nothing to do with this movie. Um, We cut to the police station. And Loomis wants the sheriff to call for backup. He's already on this fucking train. Let's do this. Yeah. And it, it's Sheriff Beaker again, though, right? And he thinks Loomis is overreacting, I guess, because he's like, I threw dynamite on that motherfucker after I emptied a 12-gauge into him. But while they're standing there arguing, they get a call to go to the cemetery. And we find out that someone has stolen the coffin of an 11-year-old child. Loomis knows who that's probably for. <laughs> We head back to Rachel's house and Tina shows up and finds Max chained up in the backyard and she goes to the back door to use like the key, like the hidden key, but the door's not locked, which she thinks odd. She's already more aware than Annie. Yeah. Well, she is our final girl though, right? So the shape is actually still in the house and like stalking her, but they never run into each other. And Tina walks around the house and can't find Rachel. It's really funny though, because they, they do a good job on the scene. Like she walks into the room, like, and looks shocked by something and starts to look at the vanity, and that's where he killed her, but there's no blood or anything. It's just like she wanted to look in the mirror or yeah. something. But the way they filmed it, it's, it's really gets you there. But their friend Sammy shows up, and they assume that she did end up going out of town with her parents, even though they try to talk her out of it. They don't, don't think it's weird that she's gone. Yeah. And they have the house to themselves. So I don't know if this was Rachel's parents' house or if, like, Rachel and Tina and Sammy had a house or, or what, but they're happy they got the house to themselves.
1: There's a party house.
0: Yeah, because Sammy's planning a romantic night using <laughs> Rachel's nice sheets to have sex with her boyfriend. <laughs> Fucking, that's not how it goes down later. But Tina and Sammy go for a walk towards uh, the Haddonfield Children's Clinic because Tina wants to go see Jamie. So I'm assuming Tina was a friend before all this and just wasn't in for, yeah. right? Because she's really close to Jamie. Yeah. And Jamie's close to her. But they're walking and they're having their girl talk about setting up the, you know, for sex. And, and there's a really subtle. Did you catch the shape? He's hanging out in the tree behind him, pacing, watching him. Uh-uh. A lot of people don't catch that. I always have to point it out, but he's like at the tree in the bushes. You know, later when you see Jamie, look out the window and see him. Yeah. He's, he was already, already at there. that tree. Yeah. Okay. yeah. It's really cool. But Tina's boyfriend, Mikey, this is really, it's going to get confusing. <laughs> Depending yeah, on what he's doing. I call him the shaper Mikey. Yeah. Anyways. You
1: call Mikey a lot. You got me calling him fucking Mikey for this podcast. So yeah, now it's going to get weird. <laughs> Give it to Mikey. He'll eat anything.
0: <laughs> like a dog. <laughs> Your mother ain't my dog. Not all of it. But Tina's boyfriend, Mikey, pulls up, and he's our douchebag, O'Neal, of the movie, and he's a jackass, picks up in his car, and they ride off, and Jamie can sense all of this, like that Mikey's watching. I'm sorry, that the shape's watching (laughs) from the bushes. It's going to be difficult. And so
1: it begins. (laughs) I'll try not to
0: confuse you guys. or myself. But as they drive off, Jamie looks out the window, and she sees her uncle watching from the trees where he was hiding earlier. She starts to run from him through the clinic as she thinks he's chasing her. And you can see like a man in overalls coming and she goes and hides in the basement, but ends up just being the maintenance guy dressed in his fucking, he's got big Macs to wear also, right? (laughs) He helps her down. They take her back to the room and Loomis is there he's begging
1: her to help him track down the shape, which is pretty fucked up a Loomis. Yeah. This is, this is when he's a little much. And it was weird because watching it, I'm like, Jesus Christ, were they really telling him to go? That over the top, it's like he's lost his mind. And then I stopped and thought about what I just said, and I'm like, well, think about it. Think about what he just saw at the end of the last movie and what he's been dealing with for his entire span of the movies. Like, that character should be losing their shit at this point and be that obsessive. I'm actually more shocked that like he hasn't
0: given up on Jamie. I guess it's just like the blank staring stuff's not there because he gave up on Michael as a child. Yeah. And he's like, I'm going to keep him locked up forever, but he seems to care about Jamie or is he just fucking using her? Yeah. Yeah. There you go. There we go. That's probably what it is. We see a bus pull up in front of Vincent's drugstore. It made a comeback from part four and we see a man in black with spurs on his boots and everything get out and uh, he kicks a dog because he's an asshole. (laughs) People don't kick dogs. We go to the fake-ass Myers house. This house does not even (laughs) remotely look anything like the house. It's not the same style house. It's not the same shape. Nothing about it's the same. I don't know why the fuck they couldn't like find a dilapidated house that looked similar.
1: Was this... I don't know. You know they moved the house, like the actual house. Yes, but I don't think it had been moved yet. It hadn't been moved yet? Okay.
0: Could have been, but who knows? Either way, they could have just found a different house. Yeah. Because, yeah, the house is now a chiropractor's office at least last time I heard it was (laughs) but Loomis heads to the dilapidated house in Haddonfield that we're going to call the Myers house (laughs) but Loomis walks around the house as he's talking aloud to Michael as if he was there
1: have you come home Michael
0: Loomis goes to the house checking out the different rooms this little garbage chute that I don't remember being in the old house but we'll take it it comes in handy later and It's, uh, it's
1: over by the hatches for the tunnels that go
0: under the house loomis you would think would be aware especially since he's in the myers house trying to find michael man in yeah. black's walking around the house behind him the whole time he never noticed it i don't know what he might be deaf now who knows he's huh? old but then we see that myers is continuing to stalk the girls and their boyfriends around town and we're introduced to spitz who works at it's not the vincent drugstore but a store yeah and uh he set it up where they can steal beer out the back for the party it's right the beer store Mikey's out there just polishing his car like it's a fucking dick. And uh, (laughs) Rachel scares him with a mask that she got for him. He didn't like the mask. He guess it fucks with his asshole face and his hair. I don't know. (laughs) He's such an ass. But he gets in the car and he pulls around back like he's supposed to. And uh, he sees somebody like put a little hand rake, start dragging across the paint of his car, gets out to whoop his ass. It's Michael. Michael fucking kills him. Thank God. Douchebag O'Neal out pretty quick. (laughs) We have another one of those, like, Halloween cutting back and forth, especially in this movie, since Jamie can sense the shape. Yeah. <laughs> Her uncle. Uh, we we balance between uh, Haddonfield Children's Clinic and Rachel's house. And we see that at the clinic, there's a costume contest where Jamie's a princess, Billy's a pirate. And we see Michael pull up in Mikey's car with, <laughs> it's so confusing, with Mikey's mask on the uh Tina got him right so he's there to pick up Tina I don't know how we knew the date plans for the evening and when to go pick Tina up yeah but he's got the mask on apparently it was supposed to be a Reagan mask originally and oh, they really? didn't want it to be political so they swapped huh. it for whatever the fuck that mask is
1: looks like some American horror story clown mask shit right
0: but when Tina gets in the car she's excited to see that he's actually wearing the mask that she bought him and uh, she's talking to him and he's ignoring her and she's fucking with him and she ends up, like, kissing him on the mask. And fucking the way Dot Shanks did his eyes, like, <laughs> what are you doing to him? And he's, like, squeezing the steering wheel. Yep. Dot Shanks is a good shape. But the eyes eyes under a mask are always hard to do. And he he did it fucking well. <laughs> Once again, though, Jamie can sense what's going on and knows that her uncle's stalking one, someone close to her. And she faints at the school. And we see that the man in black is watching all this again.
1: Here comes the man in black.
0: It's fucking Sam Hain, man. Glenn Danzig's here. <laughs> <Fucking>. <laughs>
1: the first it time I saw this pretty... God damn it.
0: <laughs> so did you know how the Curse of the Thorn plot goes down? Like when you saw this movie for the podcast? Or were you just confused as fuck about the man in black the whole time?
1: Okay. In all honesty, at first I was confused as fuck. I was like, but that's the dude that Mikey killed at the beginning. Cause like my brain was like, it's the dude from the shed. And then after that, I was just like, I don't, I don't know what's going on anymore. Why the fuck can't she talk? What's with this psychic link? whatever. I have to watch this movie for the podcast. I was not sucked in <laughs> my head
0: cannon explaining this to friends at school and whatnot. Cause it wasn't a six yet. And this will make more sense at the end. I thought it was the devil.
1: Ah, uh, okay. Coming
0: to take the shape to hell.
1: Okay right and that mark must have been d for devil
0: yeah i had no clue what was up the (laughs) tattoo yet i just remember going i wish i had all these movies so i could see if he always had it ah which he didn't (laughs) but we go back to the car and we see tina complaining to michael that like he's not talking to her or mikey to her but it's michael to us that um He's not listening to her jokes, and, and she's like, "You're just mad at me from earlier," and blah blah blah. And she's like, "I need some smokes, right?" She's pissed. So he locks up the brakes at the uh, Cookie Woman store. Yeah, <laughs> lets her out. She goes in. I like them cookies. <laughs> Jamie manages to get partial words out that once again Billy can understand, and they tell Loomis and a cop that Tina's in danger, and she's at a store with a Cookie Woman, right? <laughs> and like the cops, like, "Oh, I know that place."
1: You know, he fucking <laughs>
0: radios it in. Yep. They dispatch the police and they get there and they're like, Dina, whatever her last name is, you know, come to us. And like they just all roll in and she's like, what the fuck is happening? Yeah, because they roll up like she's like they're going to shoot her or some shit. Right, right. <laughs> and uh, Myers fucking peels out. He's gone. Right. Yep. It's actually the closest they've ever got to like catching him and stopping him early in one of these movies. You yeah. think about it. But they take Tina to Jamie and she's excited because Jamie yells Tina to her. It's a little bit like her throat's like a little rough because she hadn't talked in a while, but she can talk again now. It's came back. Yeah. She's so excited, but still she wants to leave her. She's like, there's no boogeyman. You're going to be safe. I'm going to go to my party. And she's crying. Like Tina's crying. Like it's really hard for. Yeah. Her character, though, to me, like seems like she would have just stayed with her. Maybe, but I don't know. Maybe she's worried about her boyfriend being mad, but he just like the way he drove off on her. You'd think she'd stay, but they did a good job of showing how torn she was, right? Whether being emotional about it. True. But Luma sends deputy dumbass and deputy dipshit to go watch her <laughs> for the night. Right. They drive off or actually, I think she, she's like, good. You guys can give me a ride to the party. Right. So they give her a ride and Myers falls them and they're terrible fucking cops. They don't realize they're being tailed. And uh, the man in black watches all this again. <laughs> and if you've never seen the movie, like it's a guy in a black cowboy hat with like a black western style jacket yeah. on, black pants, black boots with fucking the metal spurs might even be black no they're not they're silver because <laughs> the tip of the boots are silver. yeah, it's fucking what Danzig wears on a rainy day, okay <laughs> But Jamie knows some shit's up, talks Billy to going with her, and they sneak out to go to the tower farm where the party's going to be. Myers comes hauling ass in, in Mikey's car and like slides it in. And, uh, the cops choose not to go investigate.
1: I look like a life threatening situation to you.
0: Spitz, Tina and Sammy prank the cops by putting a Myers costume on. Cause apparently they still fucking sell these things in Hadfield. <laughs> Spitz already had one for some reason. Don't know where the fuck he got it, but he comes out like he's killing the girls. And the cops get out with their guns, and they're, like, freaking out. And they, oh, we're just pranking you. And the cops don't find it funny, and they say they could have killed someone. Fortunately, we're well, lousy cops. Sammy finds a kitten, and for some reason, I mean, she picks it up, and it's adorable. But for some reason, that makes them all decide to go into the barn. I don't know why. Hey, man, pussy's pussy. <laughs> they go into the old barn and find more kittens, right? I think. Yeah, there's one do. more kitten. And uh, Tina goes to chase a kitten to the barn. As Spitz and Sammy start to make out. And, of course... Pervy Myers is stalking him. <laughs> it's this thing. Spitz prank scares Tina and she gets pissed and leaves. And then Spitz runs off and hides again. And Myers stalks Sammy into the barn in the barn. Sammy gets cornered by Myers, who attacks her, but we find out, surprise, it's fucking Spitz again. Yep. He's a prankster, apparently. This guy. Um uh, <laughs> This excites her, I guess, because they decided to get her freak on. But the look on her face as he lays her down on the hay where she's like, this isn't the night I planned with the sheets, but it'll do. It's, it's like really funny how she does that with her face.
1: Uh, in her little devil costume. Tino is actually
0: supposed to be the devil. Yep. And they, they thought it would not be good for the hero to be dressed as the devil. So she's the slutty French maid instead. Yep. With a cape. I don't French maids don't wear capes. But Mikey decides to, you know, perv it out a bit and watch some more. Hey, wait a minute. Didn't we have a French director? Oh, maybe he knows more than we do. Oh, anyways, <laughs> But pervy Mike watches for a bit, grabs a pitchfork and stabs spits in the back with it. There was like a fuck up the special effects. <laughs> it was supposed to pop out and bleed because it was like a fake torso. And uh, I guess what was it like the latex or something was so thick it rewrapped around the pitchfork blade and the blood never came out. Yep. Like, eh, fuck it. We'll keep it.
1: Yeah. Cause they didn't, they couldn't set up again. Well, they could, but they didn't want to spend the time and money to set up again.
0: But then he goes and he grabs a scythe. And I'll tell you what, the shape standing there with a fucking Reaver scythe looks badass. <laughs> Sammy pulls the pitchfork out and tries to fight Myers with it until she's fucking decapitated. It was actually the actress's idea for her to fight back. Yeah. Yeah, because she was like, I don't want to just go out like that. Can I fight him for a second? I'm like, sure, why not? And then Don Shanks swears that like the use of farm implements was all his idea because he grew up on a farm and he's like, we could do this with the fucking rake scratching. I can do this with the pitchfork. Yeah. Who knows? But it works. Yeah. It feels a bit, which Friday the 13th movies that were there on a farm?
1: I don't fucking remember, man. I haven't seen those since I was like, well,
0: I haven't, I need to watch those. I, I get those <laughs> vibes from the scene. So but Myers comes out of the barn and he starts walking right up to the cops who heard the screaming the entire time. But Spitz was the boy who cried shape. So they call bullshit on it, right? Plus they're bad cops. Plus they're lousy cops. You're (laughs) right. Yeah. yeah. They think it spits, and they let them walk all the way up to the car, and we don't know what happens to them at this point. The party decides they want to go skinny dipping in the lake. Satina goes to get Sammy and Spitz, and she finds a kitten covered in blood and her friend's bodies. She runs out for help. However, everyone's drove off just like in scream when they find the fucking principal in the (laughs) yes goalpost. And uh, she sees the cop car. So she runs up to the two worst cops in Haddonfield and finds them dead in their car. You know why they're so bad? Why? Mikey's already killed all the good cops. This is like the bottom of the bottom of the bottom of the barrel. Like they got a good sheriff. We got Deputy Charlie. We did not popped up yet. I mean, they had to use a militia in the last movie because there's no cops.
1: So these these were the recruits that couldn't pass the muster, and they just had to give them a badge anyway.
0: Yes, yes. (laughs) But the whole time all this is going on, you can see Jamie and Billy slowly making their way to the party on foot, and they find Tina just in time for Myers to crank on Mikey's car, turn on the headlights, and try to run him down. Jamie and Billy yell at Myers to get his attention so he won't hit Tina, and Jamie says, you want me, not her? And he tries to hit her and Billy and chases Jamie down. This was all done without stunt doubles. They used yep. Tina, they used the actress to play Tina, and they used fucking Daniel Harris and everything. And it was Don Shanks driving the car in the dark. And, and Daniel Harris was like, Oh, they showed us the points, and he run this way to this hill, this way to this tree, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. But when they filmed the scene. There's a fog machine turned on. And she says she freaks out every time she watches the movie because she sees how close the car gets to her. And that's true. It really does. Oh, yeah. And then Tina, she was running, tripped on her cape and fell. And Don Shanks literally drove the car on top of her. Like, not the wheels. Like, she was under the body. Luckily, it was a stunt driver and he stopped it in time. But (laughs) some fucked up shit, man. No union. No union. No insurance. (laughs) Something. (laughs) Something. But Tina ends up like baiting them through the woods and she gets them to slam the car into a tree, right? And for some reason the front just explodes. <laughs> Michael B. <Bay. laughs> Thank you. I was about to do it. <laughs> Tina and Jamie start yelling for each other in the dark because so they can't find each other. And you can the whole time you can hear the horn wailing in the background. Yeah. And they have a look of relief, and then the horn just stops, and then they're like, oh, fuck, and I really <laughs> like that, you know, because you know we just got up. Yeah. But he gets out of the car, Myers does, and he heads towards Jamie with his knife out, and Tina jumps on him to try to stall him, and she starts yelling for Jamie to run, and Jamie's just basically, Tina, no, you need to fucking run, she just sacrificed <laughs> herself for you. Billy takes her by the hand, and they head off into the woods. Loomis randomly finds the kids in the woods and he takes them to the police because they were, see, he brought the Calvary.
1: People run and they run into Loomis. That's just what starts happening. That's well, because he's always <laughs> mostly one step ahead of the shape.
0: <laughs> Sheriff Meeker takes Jamie to the ambulance and the police go and get Tina. So I guess like the shape bailed. <laughs> you don't want to get fucking lit up by a militia again, right? I guess. So they pieced out. So Tina's alive, I guess. Yeah. she's still alive at this point,
1: right? Yeah. She made it through the whole movie? I think so, because she's supposed to be the final girl.
0: Yeah. And, and Jamie. But like, yeah. we, we never continue the story, right? True. Anyways, Loomis asks Jamie if she's willing to help him now. And she asks, can you kill him? And when he says yes, she agrees to it. Yeah. Loomis walks up to the woods alone and he starts monologuing to Michael, saying the darkness is going to consume him if he does not face his demons where it all began. And Loomis says that he and Jamie will be waiting for him at the fake-ass Michael Myers residence. That was <laughs> Donald Pleasants' words, not mine, I swear. And uh, they fucking leave, right? So now we cut to the fake-ass Myers residence. It really bothers me. Like, it might as well like just stuck fucking Nancy from Night on Elm Street's house. It did not look like that house. was that out of place. Meanwhile, on Elm Street. Yes. If they had a sitcom like friends
1: or something. <laughs> da, 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 da.
0: <laughs> we see Jamie in Judith's room brushing her hair, because apparently the vanity and the brush and shit are all still there. All these years later. We need those trigger objects. And Meeker and the police are set up in the woods. <laughs> they're like radioing in, and Loomis is like, I can't see you, but I sure can't hear you because they're being too fucking loud. <laughs> And this is where we meet Officer Charlie. This guy, I can't think of his name right now. I'm pretty sure it's in my notes <laughs> earlier, but he's in a bunch of shit, and he's, like, a good guy in this movie. Like, it's a bit part. They got a good actor for it. Yeah. But he's in the room with Jamie, and he's being real nice to her, and he's like, let's practice your signals, girl, like that he can save her, right? He's honestly my favorite throwaway character of the <laughs> series, I think. Like, for somebody that just randomly pops up and he's not in the movie long, <laughs> not very long at all. Um, but Jamie senses something's wrong with Billy at the clinic at this point, and Meeker sends all of his units to the fucking clinic. He just leaves behind Loomis and Charlie, but I think they're all supposed to clear out too, right? Yeah. Oh, that's right, because Meeker calls the clinic and nobody answers. Yeah, yeah, we're back to that. So it's not like, you know, when I was watching it recently, because I hadn't seen it in a while, I was thinking Myers did something to trick Jamie's senses, and I'm like, how does he know how all that works? No, yeah. he probably just went fucking murdered all the police and they came over <laughs> here, because they can't get the police on the phone. So they head out, and they're supposed to take Jamie with them. So Loomis goes inside, shuts the door.
1: Now you'll come, won't you, Michael?
0: He heads up the stairs where Deputy Charlie's trying to get Jamie to clear out, and he says, we're not leaving. The cop outside in the car radios to Charlie and says that one of their cars is rolling up and driving weird, right? And the car (laughs) slams in the back of him. Michael gets out, brutally fucking kills the cop, and they can all hear it on the radio, right? Yeah. Charlie wants to radio Meeker, but for some reason, Loomis takes his radio, just fucking smashes it into the wall. Like, he just wants to take Myers out once and for all. Backup worked pretty well last time. I don't know why he wouldn't go with that plan again. He's got a
1: goddamn plan.
0: Right. But he says he says that Meyer's outside and that they're going to stay with the girl. Loomis goes downstairs to battle Myers, and he approaches him and tells him that the girl can take his rage away and to just come with him to the girl. The girl's not upstairs. She's downstairs. You got to believe me. <laughs> Myers acts like he'll comply, and then he slashes Loomis across the chest with a knife and throws him over the fucking balcony. Officer Charlie tries to get Jamie out the window with the rope and lower, just like before. But Myers already started to bust the door down. Charlie tries to hold Myers off, and Jamie like runs past him out the door, right? Yep. Uh, unfortunately, Charlie doesn't make it. I was sad. <laughs> Myers straight up chunks him out the window with the rope around his neck. Fucking gets him get real good. Sorry, Charlie. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> Jamie realizes she's trapped in the fucking house, and she ends up climbing into the garbage chute that we saw Loomis looking at earlier. And there's basically a struggle where Michael's like upstairs and downstairs trying to get her and he can't fit in. Yeah. And she tries to climb up the chute and he just starts fucking stabbing the knife through at her. A couple things here. Apparently they just marked on a Sharpie on each side. Danielle, don't stand here. (laughs) Did you know all this? No. So there was marks of the Sharpie inside. So she knew where not to be. There's no stunt actress. It was Danielle Harris. And then Don Shanks had marks on his side where to stab the real fucking knife. Nice. Into the chute. And as long as she paid attention to her marks, he couldn't stab her. <laughs> so he's stabbing a real fucking knife while she's like in there. They really did it that way. Jesus Christ. No union, no insurance, <laughs> nothing. He actually got her in the shin and they cut the scene out. They didn't want like a kid getting stabbed okay. for some reason. But if you notice when she crawls out of the chute in the hallway, she's bleeding and limping.
1: Yeah. It's well, I,
0: she got stabbed.
1: I think she's even crawling. Yeah. I yeah. meant to make jokes about that earlier because they're. Through the movies, there's this recurring theme where towards the, the third act, we end up with a female lead crawling. It just keeps fucking happening.
0: <laughs> right, 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 And he, he did stab her, but they fucking cut the scene, but she, they couldn't go back and reshoot the rest of the shit. Okay. She gets up the top, like I said, and she runs in the attic where she finds lots of candles set up in the coffin that was stolen earlier, as well as the bodies of Max, Mikey and Rachel all in the room. Jamie crawls into the coffin for some reason as Michael comes in towards her. And he goes to the coffin to stab her, and she calls him uncle, and he stops. Jamie says that she wants to see his face, and he takes off his mask, and she's like, you look just like me, because he has dark hair and dark eyes. And supposedly, everybody used to say Offset because they hung out a lot, that they he she could have been his daughter. Yeah. I mean, he, he was Cherokee Indian, so that's why he was like real dark complexion, dark hair, dark eyes. But Michael Myers had like blonde hair, blue eyes as a kid. <laughs> Whatever, man. Yeah, just let it slide. It's a French thing. <laughs> but he actually sheds a tear. And she tries to reach for him and touch him. And then he just gets fucking pissed and starts wrecking the room and puts this mask back on. And she rolls out of the coffin and runs downstairs. Apparently, she was terrified as a child because she was in that big dress. And those are real candles of flames. And they covered her dress in hairspray. I don't know why. I, I guess maybe to make it stay stiff and down. Yeah. And she's like, as soon as I roll over these candles, I'm going to catch on fire and fucking die. Like, that's <laughs> what was running through her head. <laughs> they were not safe on this movie. Maybe it was a French thing. <laughs> You're just going to keep coming back to that. Yeah, I don't know. That's, that's the way I'm going to write anything off in this movie. Oh. Because there is a write-off. A big write-off for this movie. We're getting close to it. Okay. But Jamie runs into Loomis again. <laughs> and he picks her up. And you're like, yay, Loomis is going to save Jamie. And then he uh, yells, Michael, come and get her. I got her!" <laughs> like, what the <laughs> fuck? Loomis is off his rocker, man. But he lures Michael into a trap where they drop a heavy-ass chain net on him? Where did this come from, and when did they set it up? Thank you,
1: because that's what I was going to say.
0: I mean, I guess if we want to think about it, the entire police force was set up hidden around the neighborhood for a sting, and they were purposely luring Michael to the house. So maybe the police set the net up. I don't fucking know.
1: I don't know, but there's no way... Sorry, but Dr. Loomis's old rickety ass did not set that shit up by himself. That's for damn sure.
0: No, 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 I'm assuming the police did it, but there's a Trank gun set up too. I mean, obviously the police set it up because there's the Trank gun in the room. And Loomis picks it there up and he shoots Myers with the Trank gun. It's not knocking his ass out fast enough. So he decides to pick up a two by four and fucking give him a little bit of old school justice and just beat the shit out of him with the board. And he actually broke Don Shanks' nose. It was oh, a fake really? board. It was a fake board, but it still had like if you hit with the the wide side, it was fine. If you hit with the short side, it was not fine. He clocked on okay. the nose. He just went with it. He's a stunt guy. They're tougher than I am. <laughs> and then um they say it's a stroke in the next movie, but it looks like Loomis has a heart attack as he finally kills or knocks out Michael and he just collapses onto his body. Yeah. We cut to the Haddonfield jail and Meeker's locking the cell gate and Myers just sitting there. They let him keep his mask and everything. I don't know why. Yeah. And uh, he tells Jamie that he will rot there until the day he dies.
1: Never die.
0: A cop then takes Jamie out to his car as we see the man in black put out a cigarette and start to walk inside. Jamie and the cop start hearing fucking Michael Bay explosions inside the jail. <laughs> and the cop runs in. And we see that the man in black is fucking mowing the cops down with guns. Jamie goes in and sees the carnage everywhere. And Michael's cell is empty. The end. What the fuck? When I was a kid, I thought it was the devil who had came to take him to hell because there's like the fucking fire everywhere and it makes no sense. I guess yeah. the bomb. All in all, it's not a bad sequel. Like if you're just thinking of a sequel to four, like I said, the trill. Like four and five were pretty good. I fucking loved them in the nineties. Okay, like up until six came out, I even liked six to an extent, which we'll get into here shortly. It wasn't a bad movie. It wasn't like going from one to two. <sighs> to me, in some ways, it is. It had good kills. None of them were over the top they didn't do that much blood in it partially due to malfunctions with
1: (laughs) farm implements.
0: (laughs) Um, Shanks was a good Myers. We'll get to that later too. But like, I mean, the cast was good. The plot wasn't that weak, other than the man in black, which the director and the writer started to realize that they had lots of plot holes that didn't make any sense. So their idea was, we'll have this mysterious character in black and we'll have him show up throughout the movie in anything that doesn't make sense in the movie, you can just say to yourself, oh, it's going to have to do with this man in black. They'll explain it in the next one. And they were going to leave it to the directors and writers. of Number six to figure it out. That's a dick move. (laughs) No, that's literally what they said and did like there's plot holes. We'll throw this guy in there. You can even see him interviewing Malika Cod, uh, Mustafa's son. Yeah. and, And he was like, you know, yeah, they were just let the next guys fix it. I mean, that was the plan was we'll just throw this mysterious character in here. that makes no sense. And the next
1: guys can figure it out. Oh man, that is a dick move. No, I, like you said, you know, the, the acting, I can't, I can't really stomp on anybody. If I had to stomp on anybody, this is going to sound real shitty. It'd be Danielle Harris. And that's only because of when she was having to do the psychic link stuff, especially the putting on the mask scene and shit like that. And that's not her fault. That was just a weird way to show that. I think that could have been done with a little less heavy handed. Um, I don't know. I'm still angry. I'm I'm because of the end of four. Yeah. Like I'm still angry about what might have been. I hate saying this over and over again with this franchise, but in
0: a vacuum, <laughs> it was a good fucking slasher sequel. It was a good, it was a good Halloween movie, but I would have, I mean, it retconned the entire, mo- not the entire movie, but it retconned the ending of the movie before it.
1: Yeah. And I think it would have been a more interesting storyline, but there is, there's elements in it and devices, plot devices that at this point they're, they're just tired. They're, yeah. They are starting to have again it's like, oh, Loomis is coming to tell someone. Oh, it's gonna be fine. Oh, but then they get a phone call. Oh, someone's running. Oh, but Loomis is there. It's starting to get they do reuse a lot of it, but I feel like they take care of it in a good way. Cause like you can tell that
0: Loomis is like not falling for any of the shit this time. It's like, yeah, we think he's dead, but I'm gonna do this anyway. It's like <laughs> you do see a lot of that in this
1: movie. You know what I mean? I'll give them that part of it, but
0: It's like, he knows better. And then he's like, fuck it. I'm just going to set up a trap, bring the girl there. He's going to come kill the girl and
1: I'll fucking kill him there. And that part, I'm totally fine with that. I'm totally fine with him using her as bait and not telling her because Loomis has had enough. (laughs) I always
0: have to talk about four and five together. Like, I mean, it could have been one long movie, honestly. And I don't know. In some way, like, I think five's a better movie and I actually like it in some ways more than four, but because of the ending of four and the way it like retcons and changes all this fucking shit and throws in the man in black four is a better movie like it's just weird to me like i feel like five's a better movie it has a better myers it has better kills because myers is just out of fucking place on four you know always make my fuck the wilbur walk and and all this (laughs) jokes poor bastard i'll get into my myers at the end yeah but uh it it was what it was. Like the, they go hand in hand for better or worse. And uh, I mean, if you cut out the man in black and some shit like that, it, it would be a better movie.
1: Well, it sounds like you could take, like you were saying with what's being done with it. And you could take four and five and cherry pick and do a super cut of the two movies and probably leave out a few things and actually get one, one good three, well, three hours. If you had all of it, one good <laughs> two hour movie, maybe. I mean, the
0: thing is, Myers has survived some pretty unbelievable shit to yeah. the movies, but like the end of four, there's no coming. Back. You know what I mean? Like he got shot so fucking much that without him being like magical, there's no fucking way to come back. Yeah. And that's why they shot the stupid ass scene with the voodoo witch doctor resurrected him from the dead. Like he was dead. And then they cut all that out, but then it makes even less sense in a way. You know what I mean? It's like I go back and forth, like I like the movie because it has really good shit. But in continuity, it doesn't make sense.
1: Well, post two, he has to be supernatural because that burning up in the hallway shit, like there has to be some other force involved.
0: Right. I just liked it when I saw the first one as a kid and I thought it was just so fucking crazy. He couldn't die. (laughs) Man couldn't feel pain. But like I said, this is the Curse of the Thorn trilogy, which brings us to 1995 Halloween, The
1: Curse of Michael Myers. So this movie was directed by Joe Chappelle which we'll get into some details about him later. Um, he also directed phantoms and one other movie. And after that has not had a feature directing job. Oh, I wonder why. Yeah. Um, it was written by, uh, Daniel France, who I found this crazy. He was also the director of his name was Jason. Never sleep again. Scream the inside story and crystal lake memories. So he's a documentarian probably. Apparently of course we've got Donald Pleasance back again We've got Paul Rudd as little Tommy Doyle, all grown up. We've got Marion Hagen or Hagen? I don't either way as Car Strode. We've got uh Mitchell Ryan as Dr. Wynn, Kim Darby as Deborah Strode, and unfortunately, George again as the shade. <laughs> I say unfortunately for Jesse. <laughs> <laughs> the only reason why I pick on George, he's fine. He seems like a really cool guy in the interviews,
0: but it's just like the first interview I ever saw with him. He's like, you know, I came in and they were, they were talking about the shape has a walk and I showed him my walk. Cause I got what I call the Wilbur walk
1: <laughs> and they
0: loved it. And, uh, I don't know. He doesn't walk right. Yeah. Me, but like he, apparently he's he was that. the
1: only one who loved it. So after a big rights battle, Miramax dimension ends up with the rights. And this is why you got to see the original Halloween featured so prevalent in scream. So, Joe Chappelle didn't care about the franchise and to me it fucking shows in the movie it was just part of a three picture deal and that's funny because you take this phantoms and the other movie that I forget what it is and he hasn't directed another feature since so I don't know maybe I'll rip on him more than I rip on the movie but it's real obvious and all the cat not all the cast but a lot of the cast did interviews saying this motherfucker was just there for a paycheck he didn't care about the the previous installments he just knew he had to get something done and, and get his check. Which is,
0: you know, how much is that is he had to pick up the pieces of the man in black left in the last one. I'll give him that much. I mean, you didn't have a whole lot to work with going in here. And (laughs) I just want to say there's a theatrical cut of this movie (laughs) and a producer's cut. And I'm talking about when the movie split at a certain point in the final act. Yeah. The producer's cut is a completely different movie. And. I haven't seen the theatrical cut in a while. And that's what Josh watched. (laughs) And I watched the producers cut and there's a lot of glaring differences. And at the end, we'll kind of go in and and say all that. And when you see the movie, like these different ways, I wonder how much of it. He was just getting fucked. I mean, you got to think the Weinsteins are involved at this point and they're fighting with Mustafa Akkad and they're arguing about the way the movie should go. And how you end up with two cuts of the fucking movie So, I mean, some of that might be true and some of it might've just been, I picked up pieces of something crazy and I got, you know, mom and dad are fighting and I'm just trying to be a kid.
1: (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Well, this film uh, is definitely the epitome of production hell. Um, so the script was rewritten at least 10 times and that's during production, not before it got picked up. Um, poor fucking Danielle Harris. So she finds out from her agent that they're doing another Halloween movie and they're casting for... This particular role for Jamie Lloyd. And in the the thing they sent out um, for the call, they've got a picture of, for reference of the character they're looking for. And it's Daniel Harris's fucking headshot. Right. So she finds out about it, talks to her agent. She's like, um, so why am I not getting offered to play my part? And they're like, well. You're not 18 and because of the work hours and the schedule and the unions, blah, 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 we got to have an 18 year old. And she's like, well, what, is there anything I can do? Get yourself emancipated. And so she sets off and she fucking spends thousands of dollars, gets yourself fucking emancipated, goes back, says, Hey, I'm here for my part. And they're like, okay, cool. And, uh, by the way, we're only going to pay you scale. And, <laughs> And it was going to end up being like between 800 and a thousand bucks right. for her work. It's like, well, you have a throwaway character that that's all you're going to get. And uh, in the biz scale is basically minimum wage. So if you're, you know, a, a day player, you're this, if you happen to do stunts, you get an extra amount and that's, it's literally a scale based on role. Right. Um, so she walked, um, there were some other arguments involved with it, but that was just a real, the whole thing is just a shit into the stick for her.
0: And it really sucks for her because when the movie came out, I remember, you know, I don't know if it was the Weinsteins or what, but basically the studio saying she just wanted too much money. That's why we don't have her in there. Yeah. And it's a bending of the truth because it she is. did want more money, but it's because she said she would at least put the money back in her bank that she spent to get emancipated for the job. And she was heartbroken because it was her the start of her career. She liked doing the movies. Yep. She was close to everybody. And... She was friends with the cods. Like she would go to dinner with their house and everything. And she was waiting on them to make another one and they just never fucking did it. So she just kind of moved on with it until surprise. We're casting somebody to look
1: like you. (laughs) So after all the production hell, the curse title was a fucking joke that was replacing. uh, What was it? Um, It was Halloween six, six, six. And there was another working title for it. Um, I forget what it was, but curse ended up being what stuck. And so that gives us the completion of what I call the Pink Panther trilogy, because you have Return of the Pink Panther, Revenge of the Pink Panther and Curse of the Pink Panther. Now, I can't take credit for this because I saw it on fucking Cinemassacre fucking uh, James Rolfe again when he was doing a a review of the movies. And uh, there's another documentary that talked about it, but that's where I saw it first. Now. That's just funny fucking coincidence right there.
0: So is there actually a Curse of the Pink Panther movie? There's a, re- there's a return, a revenge, and a curse. I mean, I, jokes aside, the name makes sense because they the way 4 and 5 was named, and this one, literally the entire plot is to explain the Curse of the Thorn.
1: It is. And, and wrap
0: I, up why he's who he yes, is. Yes,
1: and I will give them that. It's just funny irony. So we open with a girl in labor being wheeled down a hallway, and we hear, Uncle Michael, please don't hurt me. And she's being taken into this odd room with like candles and runes and a ninja. (laughs) (laughs) I guess they had to
0: do the uncle Michael line because it wasn't Daniel Harris and you need to know who the fuck it was, right? I don't
1: know, right? But a nurse calls her Jamie and we fucking, we get the whole thing. There you go. So baby's born and taken away by the man in black. The baby is taken to a much more decorated candle room, this time with the thorn symbol all over an altar. Baby also has the thorn symbol drawn on it while we hear a voice tell us the backstory of Michael Myers, but the voice believes something is controlling him. And that voice is Paul Rudd. Yes, it is. Okay. There's going to be horrible editing in here and I have to, I'm just going to bring it up now. I've said this on some of the other movies, but because of all the butchering that happened to this film and all the slashy scream jump cuts that worked in scream and didn't work in this, some of this is going to seem weird.
0: Well, you know, in your version of the movie, Instead of doing like a fade or a transition, you get a little black and white with the knife stabbing. That's yeah. not in the, that's just because they had to like clip shit together that didn't work.
1: Oh yeah. yeah. But it was also to make it more edgy along no. with the rock soundtrack. Oh, that
0: fucking nineties grunge soundtrack. It's like a dick.
1: Yeah. So all of a sudden the nurse gives the baby back to Jamie and helps her escape. Mikey shows up and jams the nurse into a wall spike. I don't know why there's these nine inch spikes sticking out of the wall, but hey, they're there. It is a Celtic Druid temple, so
0: they can have spikes for decorations in the dungeons all they want. They have no code enforcement. (laughs) It's perfectly fine. Because you got to think this is like the the cult of the thorns temple hidden under the hospital, right? Yeah.
1: yeah, yeah. It's been there the whole time. No one ever noticed.
0: If you think about it, though, this is the (laughs) hospital where Michael was kept and groomed as a child. Yeah. And I mean, we got to blame John Carpenter for this, maybe because we had Donald Pleasance in the first Halloween say he was doing a pretty good job
1: driving the car last night. Maybe somebody around here taught him. It was the ninjas. I make fun of their black outfits as calling them ninjas because it looks like something a villain in a fucking Ninja Turtle movie would wear.
0: Unless, like I said, I don't, I'm not going to interrupt Josh throughout this movie the best (laughs) I can so I can do the producer's cut changes at the end. But in the producer's cut, at least they look like giant fucking Dracula cows. Like they look like wizards. Well, no,
1: they've got hoods, but then the yeah, it's yeah, like it's the, like the big, big shoulder huge, pointy thing. It's ninjas. <laughs> <laughs> so Mikey chases Jamie outside and twists this dude's head nearly off. Well, either twist it in one cut, twist it nearly off in another cut. <laughs> yeah, he
0: pops his neck in the pro- the producer's cut is a. Through and through Halloween movie. Yeah. With weird magic fuckery. Yeah. But still. There,
1: there's less over the top gore. We'll stop on the depart and we'll just do it okay. at the end. So, uh, Jamie steals dude's truck, head snap dude's truck. So he cut to a boy in the Myers house hearing something and thinking he sees a man. And he killed for him. And he tells his mom, but she's not buying it. And she's going out of the bedroom and knocks his sweet thorn drawing down as she leaves.
0: I like that. That was kind of subtle. How do you mean? Like, it wasn't like in your face. Like she just goes to turn the light out and knocks a piece of paper off and you have to pay attention to catch this. Yeah. It wasn't like, Oh son, what's this? You know, like how so many shitty horror movies will do.
1: It will be at breakfast when it's sitting on the table and she's staring at it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh mom goes to undress and we hear a DJ over the radio taking calls and they're going on and on about Michael Myers. So mom realizes that while she's undressing, she's being watched by Creepy Neighbor Dude. So Creepy Neighbor Dude calls into the show because like this whole opening, everywhere we cut to, you hear the radio show. Right. So that if that seems weird, that's just how it is. So he calls into the show and he says that he saw Michael Myers when he was about eight years old and he knows he'll kill again. We then see Loomis as the radio show claims he's dead.
0: Not dead. Just very much retired.
1: Then Wynn comes in. We cut back to Jamie going into a bus station and making a call on a payphone. We can hear the radio there as well, and we can hear that there's going to be a huge party tomorrow night at the university. Back to Wynn and Loomis, and Wynn wants Loomis to come back to Smith's Grove. While they're talking, of course, the radio is playing there too, they hear Jamie on the radio making her call saying that Michael Myers is back. Michael Myers finds Jamie in a bathroom, but she gives him the slip. So we have a short car chase with. Her and Michael Myers, which is whatever.
0: (laughs) He's been tailing and chasing people for every movie, man.
1: Um, It, of course, leads to a wreck. And then uh, Michael Myers impales uh, Jamie on some kind of heavy equipment on the front of a bobcat. And uh, while she's laying there, starting to die, he slowly reaches for her like he cares and then just shoves her ass on there farther (laughs) and then turns the shit on. (laughs) So we actually see the three things coming out of her chest all running and shit. He goes over to the truck to get the baby. Oh, it's a roll of paper towels.
0: Quilted, quick, the
1: so the next morning, we learn that mom that we saw with Danny is Cara Strode and her dad's an asshole. Yeah. <laughs> he ends up talking shit about Danny and slaps her. And Danny just randomly pulls a knife on him. We see Wynn and Loomis get told that Jamie's body has been found. And, uh,. There's a giant burnt thorn symbol, like the fucking crow on the hay for some reason. And
0: fucking Dr. Loomis is like, well, first Dr. Wynn
1: says what's that Dr. Loomis goes,
0: oh, it's the symbol of the thorn. It's his symbol. He leaves it everywhere. So it's <laughs> <Since> fucking Win.
1: <laughs> and I think I actually got ahead of myself, but that's what happens on scene and it's dumb. Um, but we see uh, Peeper playing back the call from Jamie on the radio show because he had been recording it. And he's listening and he can hear in the background that they're calling when the buses are coming and going. It's like, oh shit, I know where that is. So he gets there and he follows this convenient trail of blood down to the bathroom and finds the stashed baby. Thank God the fucking cleaning
0: crew is terrible (laughs) at this place.
1: Um, We also cut back to Kara at school with one of Danny's let's kill the family drawings because she drops her shit. And the whole setup is just to be able to show that it's like, oh, he's been having nightmares. We then see the peeper take the baby into a hospital. And he's being real extreme about it. I need a doctor. (laughs) My baby, my baby needs a doctor. (laughs) But uh, from across the room, he recognizes the back of Dr. Loomis's head and uh, he calls out to him. (laughs) It's poorly done, man. It is fucking poorly done because he does it. He just sees him. It's shot a reverse shot from behind Loomis looking at the camera. And there's Tommy out of focus in the back. He's like, Dr. Loomis.
0: I feel though that Dr. Loomis is probably the most famous person in all of fucking Hattonfield. And it's like, Hey, look, it's a short bald guy with, <laughs> it's gotta be him. I
1: don't know. Maybe it bothers me. That's why I had to bitch about it. But he introduces himself as Tommy Doyle and, and refreshes his memory on who he is. And he tells Loomis about the now occupied Strode house and that he has a theory about Michael Myers. He asked him to meet him at the campus party. So back at the Strode house, we see grandma get the lowdown on Michael Myers from Loomis. Cause you know, Loomis is already doing his thing. Like, okay, let's start going to where he's going to show up and start warning people. I beg of you. Don't let your family suffer the same fate. So grandma Deborah calls asshole John. <laughs> I do want to point
0: out grandma is the mom from better off dead. Yes. looking at that John Cusack movie. And she looks exactly the same. She man. Does, and, man. and every time she like runs around and does something,
1: I think a scene from that movie, uh, she's got a certain way about her as she moves. It's great. We find out that John must have known about all this because it's his fucking brother's house because it's the Strode brother Strode Realty. They moved into the house. Right. If you hadn't figured that out by now. And as she's Well,
0: it's the Myers house that the brother was trying to sell and never could sell. And then they just said, fuck it. Moved in. Right. Yeah. (laughs)
1: Because now people finally understand that this was a bad guy. (laughs) But uh, while she's trying to warn him, you can see Mikey creeping in the background. So she packs a bag and she gets a call from Jigsaw. We want the child. Dude, it is. We want the child. It's totally. Pre-Jigsaw though. So that would
0: mean that James Wan ripped off Halloween 6. Must be a huge fan.
1: <laughs> the more you know. So uh, Mikey gives chase and he ends up giving her a chop with an axe in the backyard. In the sheets, all flowing like a throwback. That's
0: pretty cool. I will say like. You can hate the movie as much as you want. I think it's a well made movie.
1: <laughs> it I I can't bitch about like like the, the as a movie, the, the way it's
0: directed and the the choppy scene, yeah, because of the two cuts. Like this is the fucked yeah. cut of the movie. But like the the way the scenes are written and portrayed, like yeah, the mystical shit gets a little bit fucky, but it's actually a really well made horror movie.
1: All of that I'm fine with. It's the rough editing. Yeah that has is the my biggest hang up on it would you like for me to uh,
0: loan you the producer's cut so you could see the not fucked editing version of the movie <laughs> the
1: unmolested version <laughs> i
0: mean the druid magic it's slightly molested but you know it's, it's different <laughs> but at least it's a a better cut of the film
1: yeah but uh car comes home and she finds tommy and the baby hanging out with danny in danny's room tommy gives car the lowdown about michael myers and they go over to his place well, while they're over there, Danny sees Michael Myers outside and tries to warn Cara, but she's not listening. Cara being his mom. And uh Tommy tells <laughs> so Tommy tells Cara his thorn theory that it was a demon that spread sickness, and one child from each tribe would be chosen to be the marked and kill off the family on Sam Hain, because they still can't pronounce it. <laughs> well, I'm assuming they had to go with it, right? Like you didn't want I to know. read Con it and fuck it up. And
0: honestly, that's a good fucking backstory if it was just like a random horror movie yes. and not my fucking Michael Myers. You know what I mean? Yes. No, and no. the room, I don't, I don't believe you said this earlier, it is completely covered with like newspaper clippings and the red yarn. And yeah, yeah. it looks
1: like. He is totally that guy.
0: Like this is what Tommy's done his whole life since surviving that yes. night.
1: And I'm okay with that. Yeah. I, I think it's neat bringing back his character and him uh, totally fine with him being obsessed with this boogeyman for his entire life. Totally fine with that.
0: Because a lot of movies, when they when they bring back an original character, you can tell they just did it. Yeah. Like to do it, this fits.
1: Yeah. So meanwhile, we've got the doctor duo. And when I say the doctor <laughs> duo, that's Wynn and Loomis, of course. And uh, they discovered that Jamie was preggers. <laughs> and Loomis knows where the baby is. And he happens to say that to win. So Mrs. Blankenship, which is just the woman that Tommy lives with for some reason. I don't, do you got anything there? She's an older
0: lady that has a house across the street, and she lives she's downstairs. Just the rooms. She, she just rinsed the okay. rooms out. I don't know how your cut went, but she does tell Danny in, in the producer's cut that she used to even babysit the Myers boy at her yeah. house all the time. Yeah, yeah. So she just lived there and rinsed the room out, I guess. To, okay. It's small town, right? You're yeah, yeah, not worried about drifters stabbing you and taking on your no, shit. No, that's
1: fine. I was legitimately asking if there was anything more to her. Right. And uh, I will
0: say, I wrote it in my notes somewhere. I don't remember which other Halloween movie, but there's a, there's another Mrs. Blankenship. And I'm like, oh, really? Well, you know, they reuse they use names of people they know. So I wonder yeah. if they just, like, they use the person's name twice.
1: Could have been. But this is when she goes on the whole spiel, and uh, she tells Danny about Halloween and tells Kara that Danny hears voices just like Michael Myers. Right. Because I think she says she even
0: babysat him the night he killed his sister, yeah. which would mean when he walks home... He's coming from her house, yeah, to you know, to murder <laughs> Judith, and once again, like plot wise, they're making this shit work. Yeah. Like they're tying back to the
1: original quite well. Oh yeah, this it, this is one of those that really is trying to put a bow on the series.
0: Which that's why I don't completely buy that the guy didn't give a shit about the
1: franchise and the lore because it ties back too much. I. I only comment on that because of how much stuff I found of people on the cast and crew that said that he flat out said it, that he was there for a paycheck and wasn't a fan of the series and just needed to get the movie done and get out.
0: Well, I wonder if he just did it professionally as a director. The writer wrote the movie. He directed it as fucking written. And uh, you you know what I mean? Like, like he's like, it makes frame
1: this. Let's go for it. Action. And see, and there's nothing in there where I can bitch about the framing and the blocking like. I'm I'm okay with all that. It's just when you see that many people saying the same thing, it like right, it feels right. like he was detached from the project.
0: It's just weird because I've heard that too. So it's like weird that he was detached, but it's such a well-directed movie just yeah. as a movie. And then like it still encompasses the lore while still adding weird Celtic it, druid shit.
1: I hadn't watched it in forever, but it does make me want to go back and watch Phantoms again, <laughs> just with this fresh in my mind because he did it right after this.
0: I mean, I only saw Phantoms once. I rented it. I don't remember liking it.
1: Fuck. I think I got drugged to the theaters for that shit. Ugh. But at any rate to the party and the party kicks off with uh, Barry, the asshole DJ broadcasting live. Now the part of Barry was originally written for Howard Stern. He couldn't do it because he was getting ready to do private parts. And they even flirted with the idea of having Mike Myers play the role. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been weird just because of the names. <laughs> um, but while this is going on, Asshole dad, John comes home and the power goes out. Here's the washing machine running down in the basement. And he even says, power's out. I'm still lost on that one.
0: It's so confusing. Yeah. Cause he, he's like, he says the power's out, grabs the flashlight and he's like, it must be the boogeyman. Cause he's fucking tanked. Dude's been drinking at work all night. It shows him doing that. Yeah. And, and he goes down there and I don't know how the fucking dryer's running either.
1: Plutonium. <laughs> but, uh, the there we go. And then Doc Brown shows up. No. And um, Michael Myers walks up on him, pins his ass up against the electrical panel until his head explodes in this cut. Um, <laughs> so we see Beth and Tim, which Tim is uh, Carr's brother, um, which we saw him earlier in, in the scene when when uh, when he sla- when Dad slaps her. He stayed in there with a, what is it, Barry Sims kicks ass, kicks ass shirt. And then
0: Danny's dressed exactly like him with the same shirt on. Yeah.
1: Um, So they're on the radio show and Beth gets real uppity about Michael Myers is dead and there is no boogeyman. And then Barry being quite an asshole.
0: Does she get this riled up in the sack, Tim? I bet she wears crotchless panties and barks like a dog.
1: She also says Tim lives in the Myers house and Barry's like, well, holy shit. After this break, we'll be broadcasting live from there. And then Tim's face is like, what? (laughs) Yeah. So Barry goes to leave while he's on the phone, bitching to somebody about how he's got this gig and they should be doing something else. And he gets in the wrong van. Right. (laughs) Just
0: like fucking Randy, man. And fucking scream, whatever
1: the fuck. (laughs) Oh, shit. Scream too. But yeah. So uh, he gets in the van and gets stabbed. And uh, the couple, of course, Beth and Tim head to the house and they go ahead and start getting freaky while they're waiting on the radio show people to get there. Meanwhile, back at the party, Tommy is walking around, and he hears a little girl saying, Mommy, it's raining. It's raining red. Which I really like that. And in the other version, it's a song instead of her just saying it. Because I think she's like, oh, it's red rain and it's warm. But like
0: in the producer's cut, she's like, it's raining red (laughs) and stuff like that. It's
1: kind of fucking creepy. So this gets Tommy's attention and he sees Barry's strung up body and it falls out of the fucking tree. He didn't just kill Barry, by the way. He stabs him in the dick and then carves up. It's fucked up. In the theatrical cut? Oh, I don't know. (laughs) Because I didn't see that. Of the two of us, my, you, you are ADD as far as bouncing from one thing to another. My problem is, is I know this shit, but my memory's shit. So I've like have seen it a lot
0: out. more times than you.
1: Yes. I've seen this at least one time, maybe one and a half. Put <laughs> it at any rate. So we see Tim having a post-sex shower and, uh. Oh, what's her name? Beth is still laying in bed and, uh, it's in Kara's room, Kara's room. I always want to say Kara when I say it, written, <laughs> but her mom calls her fucking Kara in the movie. So <laughs> Mikey helps him out with a towel, just kind of hands it to him He gives us a chance to see the thorn symbol. And, uh, oh yeah. He also gives him a throat slash and an armpit <laughs> slash to boot. <laughs> I don't think it's funny that he fucking hands on the tail. There's a couple scenes
0: throughout the franchise where, like, Mikey has a chill level where he's like, let me just fuck with this guy for a second.
1: So, uh, Kara being able to see this from uh, Peeper's, well, I guess I can tell me now from Tommy's. It, dude, is, what is that movie? Rear window? Yeah, it's a straight up like telephoto lens fucking paper anyways, but he's been locked up. You know, he's he's never gotten a girlfriend. He's been researching Mikey. So whatever. But she calls over and she tries to warn Beth. What's going on? But she gets it too in this weird slow mo slashy thing in this version. Um, (laughs) (laughs) While this is going on, Danny takes off and he's running towards the house. So Cara gives chase because that's her boy. Cara gets upstairs and she finds hacked up Tim and Beth in bed and uh, oh they're cuddling (laughs) she's looking for Danny and she sees Michael Myers in his room and she sees Danny as well but Michael Myers sees fucking both of them so they go taking off Cara heads down the hall and Deborah's body fucking falls out of the ceiling presumably from like attic stairs or it was just a throwback to which one is it where the body falls in the hallway like that
0: Bob in the first one there we go but what was in the dryer then Mm bumping I always just assumed it was, I always think it's her body Until she falls from the ceiling I'm like what the Because all Because
1: all we see And I should have said this earlier We see bloody sheets Yeah But you definitely hear A decapitated head or something But she, her body's intact When she comes out from the ceiling
0: Because he axed her in the chest. He doesn't, like, decapitate her or anything, so.
1: And as a matter of fact, he walks up and pulls the ax out of her chest as she's hanging from the ceiling, because it's still there. I will say I pick on Wilbur for four, mainly, I
0: think, just because, like, I had the Wilbur walk. (laughs) But, like, I actually like him in this one. He's, like, he's, he's... He's a creepier walk, maybe it's because he's older, I don't know, like fucking grabbing the axe, which I know he doesn't like write the scenes, but I I think he's a better shape in this one. Yeah,
1: I'm I'm, I'm cool with him in this one. So Michael Myers pulls the axe out of the body. While this is going on, Carr kicks him down the stairs and he seems to be knocked out. Danny ends up walking over to him. He springs up, Carr grabs Danny, but Mikey grabs Carr by the ankle and gives it a squeeze. I like the scene because it's like real
0: kind of like dramatic because she's like,
1: Step over him. Come <laughs> to me. And I was like, not doing that. Yeah. You never do that. He's never really dead. Damn it. Um, so they go hobbling off. Well, she's hobbling back over to Tommy's house where Loomis now is. And uh, they quickly find out that the baby's missing, but Tommy's given Loomis crap saying, you know, you're the only other one who knew about the baby. And Loomis says, well, no one knew about the baby except for him. And, and then he's interrupted by, Danny, come to me. So everyone goes into the next room where the voice came from to discover that when is the man in black? Cool. I'm glad we had a lot of backstory with him throughout the movie to make this a real. Anyways. We uh, did, but I'll tell you about it later. (laughs) So some ninjas come in and grab everyone. I just see like fucking dark sorcerer. I love your ninja Uh, (laughs)
0: interpretation of it.
1: I just, I, I don't like them, man. They if, Oh, the costume's terrible. Yeah,
0: I like 100% agree it's terrible. They could
1: have been in just robes. Just robes with hoods would have been way freakier. It would have been stale, but it would have been freakier. Right. Everyone gets grabbed except for Kara. She ends up running upstairs and jumps out a window. We fade to black. With a nice shot down on where she landed. And as we come back in, her body's gone, just like Mikey at the end of the first one. And Loomis and Tommy are there. They talk about how they feel. Tommy says he feels like he was drugged. And Loomis is like, we were. (laughs) Okay. When did that happen? Why were we left alive? (laughs) It's his game. And I know where he wants to play it. So then we cut to Carl locked up in a cell in a white dress. Tommy and Loomis roll up to Smith's Grove in a Jeep. So that must be where she is. And Loomis goes in and confronts Wynne. Welcome to your fate. The time has come for you to know the truth. The time has come for you to join us. Loomis goes to shoot him and gets knocked out. Meanwhile, Tommy is trying to find the source of this scream that he's hearing in the hospital. He runs into a cut-up lady that says some crazy shit to him and then drops dead. And then he hears Kara. I really don't under, Fuck either cut of the movie. I don't understand the point of that woman. But uh, he heads towards Kara and she's in room 237. And uh, <laughs> he's going to break her out, busting the knob with a fire extinguisher. And Mikey approaches. They go. He gets the door open. Him and Kara go running off and they end up at this gate. And Mikey grabs through from the other side and is holding on to Kara. Tommy runs around the corner and there's a conveniently placed grenade launcher. And, uh, I'm talking like beanbag or something like that, right, riot, right. like riot control. And, uh, he shoots them with it and they're able to get away. So they end up finding when prepping to operate is what it looks like. They come up on this room and, uh, in the next room over there's Danny and the baby and Cara actually goes to rush in like, that's my boy. And Tommy has to kind of restrain her. And this is when we see, uh, Mikey walking down a hallway and picks up what I call the machete scalpel. because There's, there's <laughs> no reason for this knife to exist in a hospital and it's huge, but whatever. He's got a good weapon now.
0: I'd have to see it because I haven't seen this cut in the movie in so long. And this isn't, I mean, the movie's already like the producers cuts a different part of the movie. from yeah. This point on, Is it was like a bone saw or something. It's or? not a bone saw. It's Ooh. not serrated. That's I'd the have thing. To see it. It's
1: not serrated. It has a short handle. And it's about this long. Oof. Yeah. I mean, machete, seriously. But, uh, Mikey goes into the OR and fucks up everybody and the lights are flashing. You just see blood going everywhere and like people splatting up against the glass and shit. Pretty intense scene. And if you're epileptic, don't watch it.
0: I actually really like that scene. I loved it in the theater. And it's the one thing not in the producer's cut that I wish they'd have found a way to keep. Because he's just <laughs> like fucking mowing through them doctors.
1: So they grab both the kids and run while this is going on. One dude makes it out of the OR, but he ends up getting his head bashed into a gate at the end of a tunnel. But uh, they end up in the fetus lab because there's a couple of quick shots of showing like DNA strands and, and what look like some fetuses which seems really out of place.
0: It's to explain away something that you didn't see, right?
1: Yeah. And so Mikey comes in and Tommy tries to trick him by pretending he's holding the baby. And as he gets close to him, the baby cries, which distracts Michael. And then uh, Tommy injects him in the neck with the reagent. <laughs> and couldn't help it, it's green. Right. <laughs> and uh Carr comes out and beats the shit out of him with a pipe until he just says, Fuck this, I'm Michael Myers, and grabs her by the throat. Then Danny, holding the baby, distracts him and he lets her go. Tommy stabs him with another syringe and starts bashing him with a pipe and bashes the bejesus out of him right. with a pipe, unlike what Carr did. And for some reason, Michael Myers now bleeds green.
0: I was so confused when I saw this in theaters.
1: Then there is a very odd quick cut from this to the group out in a Jeep with Loomis standing beside it and telling Loomis come with them, but he has business to tend to. We see the mask in the floor unoccupied with a syringe sitting next to it. And we hear Loomis scream. We see a jack-o'-lantern on a porch, get blown out by the wind and a black screen says in memory of Donald Pleasant's the end for a movie that you cut 30 fucking minutes of him out of it. That's some slap in the face shit there at the end.
0: Right. And I guess we didn't say at the beginning, unfortunately, Donald Pleasance did die while they were making this movie.
1: Well, he he died after they made it, but before they did. It's still in
0: production. The, the yeah, test yeah, screen, yeah.
1: yeah. So in the producer's cut, a few setups for how this happened. Towards the end, the rewrites and production issues got so bad, the Weinsteins actually stepped in and took over production of the movie. They grabbed what they had and did a screening for fourteen-year-old boys. I don't know why they decided that was the target audience for the movie.
0: I saw that in your notes, and I thought you were making a joke about like whiny babies. You mean it was literally for fourteen-year-old boys? It, it
1: they because you know they don't just pick random people. They actually pick their test on It mainly consisted of fourteen-year-old boys, and they hated the Thorn stuff. So off to the reshoots without Donald Pleasants.
0: I mean, in a way, I hate the Thorn stuff too. But what was set up for this before this movie was made it they did they wrapped a neat bow on it they made it make sense they i hate the thorn stuff i would rather just have crazy michael myers which is why we have the new timeline currently being made (laughs) and and i prefer it the way the new timeline is being made but in this timeline in this four five six trilogy they did a really good job with that story. And yeah. that's why I have a hard time shitting on the movie. Cause as much as I don't want the thorn stuff to be there, it was there. Yeah. And I just don't see how anybody could not, I mean, you could say, Oh, I'm, I hate this thorn shit. I wish we would never added the Steward magic. That's fine. But for what was there, it worked.
1: There's a, there's a clip of, uh, I want to say it's a clip of Rob zombie where they're asking him and it's like, You think at 17, if somebody came and asked me, what did I think they needed to do to redo Jaws? What the, who the fuck wants to listen to that? Who should (laughs) listen to that? And, and that's a pretty sure it was him. That's a pretty valid point. So Donald Pleasants had passed away a heart failure. And while they were doing reshoots, they went ahead and reedited it. They dumped the music that was the theme, the Halloween theme, replacing it with fucking shitty rock. And they cut almost all the Luma scenes out that ended up dumping the scenes with him and Wynn that actually explained more behind the scenes of what was going on with Thorne and with the cult. If you can get the
0: producer's cut and see it, it's just so much better. I'm not going to go scene by scene. I'm just going to do a couple of, of key things. A very important one that Josh said is Donald Pleasance was in the movie probably 30 minutes or more than what you saw in the theatrical cut. And when you see Wynn, Win's a good guy. He's a good doctor, right? Like it makes well, he's sense. A,
1: he's a character that goes all the way back to the first movie, right? Right. That's what I'm saying. Like he, his
0: character's good, and you kind of get like a buddy cop vibe. Like you got the yeah. two old doctors going in; they're gonna save the day. Yep. And you you're rooting for the character. So when you find out he's the man in black, it's like fuck. Another important thing: Jamie didn't die in the barn. No. But, like, she just, you know, walks into the barn, and you see Myers come in, and she gets stabbed off screen and falls over, and she survives. They they take her to the hospital. And that happens with a lot of the deaths in the movie. The yeah. guy at the beginning gets his neck popped. That's it. He got his neck popped. There's no spine sticking out like they did in the theatrical cut. Yep. Uh, the dad getting electrocuted in the basement. He just gets electrocuted and dies. His head fucking doesn't pop. Yep. Like it, it was more like an old Halloween movie where they had the kills not so so graphic, Yeah, which is weird. They went in and added all that shit in. Uh, Jamie, let's see. She got fucking, the man in black walks in and uh, shoots her in the head with a silenced pistol and murders her in the fucking hospital.
1: Yeah. But she's also having a flashback right. to the Uncle Mikey ceremony. Yeah. Because you get the whole, you see the whole ceremony.
0: She was in the white gown. She had like the, the plants around her head, like a crown, just like they did to. Takara at the end of the movie, and it's insinuated that her uncle impregnated her with the baby. So that's even an extra layer of fucked up. Yeah, there's lots more scenes of the man in black's voice talking to Danny. Like even when yep. he goes to to stab his grandpa or whatever in the stomach, it's because the voice is like, you know, coaxing him into doing this. Yep. And I mean. It's where it gets really weird. Like the end, end of the movie. Like once they get in the facility, Tommy showed a couple times in the movie knows how the magic works a little bit, and and like he steals a fucking
1: warlock outfit or whatever interrupts the ceremony just to back up a little bit because in that ending that he doesn't save car Kara. is actually in the ceremony and then, right. then he, he sneaks in in the outfit
0: yeah and and michael's just standing there like he's a zombie being controlled and i don't know it just gets fucked michael myers <laughs> chase them i know he, he puts runes down in a circle and he traps the magic in there it's like michael can't leave the rune circle and that's how they actually get out of the building
1: yeah because he finds them in the outfit Tommy Doyle does. He finds the runes in the outfit that he stole. Yeah. And then he uses that to trap him, which is okay.
0: And uh, (laughs) so when,
1: when Dr. Loomis
0: says he wants to go back in, it's because Michael's just stuck frozen in this rune circle. And when he goes in, Michael's passed out on the thing. And when he goes and touches, takes the mask off, it's when under the mask and when grabs Loomis's arm and you hear the same scream, but it's because the thorn symbol appears in his wrist and the important thing yep. to take away from this is when Wynne came, because like I said, there's a lot more dialogue with him. When Wynne comes to meet Loomis at the beginning of the movie and says he wants him to take over for him, it's not just as head of the sanitarium. Exactly. He also wants him to be the protector of the thorn. So pass it on, and he now has to protect Danny, who's the new thorn. And it was all pretty cool. And even the scene where Loomis meets Wynne in his office near the at the end of the movie— they had to keep all of Donald Pleasance's parts, but they, they reshot a hundred percent because yep. wins in the Dracula cape yeah, and shit. And I don't know. It just all made so much more sense. You also saw one of the flashbacks. They reshot the end of five and it's presumed that Jamie and Michael died in whatever explosion happened in the jail. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you see, like, it's weird seeing Michael get, like, handcuffed and dragged into the back of a van like yeah. he's kidnapped. And they take James. Like he's so a nobody. That's how they got him. So they, they explained everything from Five. They took the piece of shit that was given to him <laughs> with the man in black and the thorn, and they wrote something, went with the druid shit and the Sam Hayne that was set up in the original, and they actually came up with a really clever story. So it's like a shitty movie in one way yeah. while being a really well-made movie. Well, actually taking care of the storyline that was presented. It's the weirdest mixed bag of emotions I've ever had for a film in my life.
1: Well, I do want to say that the, the one of the most jarring things in theatrical cut there at the end where we just hear Loomis scream and that's right. When, when grabs him and says, it's yours now. Right. And then he starts screaming and then that makes so many things make such more sense. But like you said, it's the producer's cut is definitely the better version of the movie. Um, because it ex- it's it explains what it set out to explain. And this is another one, like you said, in a vacuum. Um, I'd probably have a good time with the movie. I guess I would have been one of the asshole 14 year olds to say, I don't like all the Thorne stuff. I don't <laughs> want more Beavis and Butthead stuff. Um, but I don't know. It's and something you said
0: earlier, like the music being a big part of the movie, like right. in the first one, we're talking about the first one. They used John Carpenter's original score. From the first movie for the score of this movie. And they fucking took it out and put grunge rock in. Yep. You know what I mean? Like, what the fuck were they thinking?
1: But the, uh, real quick, one more thing on the producer's cut, where it came from. So uh, somebody says they think someone at Dimension leaked a screener of the producer's cut because somehow it ended up on the internet. And fans actually started cutting together the producer's cut of the movie to make something watchable and they were passing it around. And then eventually in 2014, it got released. So that's just one of those crazy things. We hear about it all last house on the left. There's shit cut from that movie that no one will ever see. Right. And it makes you wonder, you know, in other movies, how many times shit like this happened and the story never got out. And this is one of those times that the story got out and the footage actually got found and released. So that just on its own is really neat. It's also
0: interesting just to hear how many things Bob Weinstein was fucking in the 90s. Oh, yeah. Including this movie. I mean, it's just... (laughs) I mean, he's a terrible person, but most of the movies he produced ended up pretty good. And I don't know what the fuck happened on this one. Because when we say the producer's cut, it's kind of confusing. It is. Because the Weinsteins were the producers, but their cut is the theatrical cut. Exactly. The producer's cut is like Mustafa's people coming in and fixing shit. Yes. Or Malik at the time. I don't remember. Yeah, because... Mustafa Khad died in a bombing.
1: Yeah, him and his daughter died in a terrorist bombing and, yeah. a, and we're getting close to where that happened and I couldn't remember exactly when.
0: But Malik worked
1: Yeah, it was I was, like I said, he
0: was sweeping up leaves on the first one yeah. that worked his
1: way up the food chain. Yeah, he was already working and uh but any, anyways, that I mean, this pretty much puts a close on a timeline. Yeah. Um it puts a close on this trilogy. But we have other places to go. We, um, we have other timelines to visit, and we have the oddball of the bunch still yet to be talked about. Oh, Buster Rhymes. Oh, no, that's that's the dog shit of the bunch. I was <laughs> talking about three. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but
0: like Josh said, that's it for the Curse of the Thorn trilogy. For better or worse, it did tell an interesting story, but you'll have to tune in on the next episode where Josh and I go into the H2O timeline Plus the standalone film, Season of the Witch.
1: You don't really know much about Halloween. But
0: you guys keep spreading the word about the show. Keep bringing friends to listen. Please rate and review online. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at SBIS Podcast. Send us any questions, comments, or concerns at SBIS at gmail.com.
1: See you guys on the next one. Thanks for listening. Michael Myers is my business.